Hi, this is Nick Dragata of East of West, and you're listening to the 11 O'Clock Comics Podcast. A monumental woohoo for a monumental evening. Big doings. Oh, for real. I'm excited. I really doubt. I can't tell you how excited I am. All day long. All day long. Oh my god. All day long. Fucking cheering. Did you have the uh did you have the shites where you like running back and forth in the bathroom? No, I didn't. (laughs) Dude, do you have to? Classy joint. Uh, well, I guess tonight oh. we're gonna be we're gonna be faux classy tonight. Piggy's extended in every tank. <laughs> I know it's like <laughs> no, you're pretty. No, you are. Grade school. Let's get this done. No, you're schmoopy. <laughs> you're schmoopy. Skull chair. Nice. I man. hope everybody appreciates the trouble we, we went through to get Mr. McFarlane on this fucking <laughs> We should. Do we know anybody Shout out to Ron for hooking us. A, uh, who can do a Todd impression? I mean, aside from from uh, Gonzo, did one didn't he, or did Lifestyle? No. Well, well, Lifestyle does life- a great one. Yeah, I bet you we could have Rob on could- being Todd, and no one would ever know the difference. <laughs> we could have Rob on another three times before we ever get Todd. Hey, everybody! Eleven o'clock comics, episode three hundred and fifty-four. Yeah, Lord. Yes, and I am an extremely excited Vince. Is that is that how many Earths have already been destroyed? And I am David A. Price. It's only twenty-two left. Yes, yeah. you are. And I, of course, am Joseph Oppenheimer. No, no, you're not Vince? Oppenheimer. You do love the children's too, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you are Jason Wood in the house. What is up? Nothing. Uh, we are in that void again on the discount comic book service list of specials. So I can't really pimp anything of particular note because there, there isn't anything yet, but rest assured, as I always say, the discounts will be both deep and plentiful. You're going to get a massive amount off each and every comic you buy through discount comic book service, dcbservice.com. They get them, ship them up nice and secure and wing them right to your door. You don't even have to move and you get them on time and you get the stuff you ordered, most importantly. That's the best thing. You order it, chances are good. 99.9% of the time you'll get it, barring like a nuclear catastrophe. DCBService.com. Go there. Yes, sir. Nice and quick. You know it. Let's do this roll call. Seriously. That was me. taking. I'm drinking soda. I don't care. Oh my god! You drink a Pepe? Yeah, Pepe Mac. Nice. It feels good. Old it feels school. like an old, old pair of a warm pair of shorts. Well, I want to keep my faculties about me for the. That entire, is a smart uh, move. Wow. Yeah. How about you, David? That's true. Uh, I am drinking some Sterling Vintner's Collection Meritage. Yes, I just yes? had some of that. I know. So good, right? It it is fucking tasty. It's got the you know fifty two cent Merlot. It's got the Cabernet Sauvignon at twenty seven percent. So Love yeah, it. No, it is. Uh, I um when we were back at the shop last weekend, spending more on fucking wine than we do on groceries. We uh we I, I saw two bottles of this. I was like, oh snap! So yeah, I uh, ran over like Bismarck and grabbed a couple of bottles. You know you have a problem when dot dot dot. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> well, I'm not drinking 
that this week because I ran out of it. Uh, I am instead also going old school, although unlike Vince, I am having a little alcohol mixed in with my liquid, which is to say I'm drinking some Yanglin. Oh, nice. Yes. I do have some, but as I said, ain't going to cut it this week. Well, I, I, I like a little uh, elixir to help relax me. That would have worked. Get the verbal juices <laughs> flowing. Yeah, yeah. Do we have any thank yous before we uh, get into our thing? I have a, sh- I have a, a, a shout out slash apology. Oh, ooh, I like the second part. Yeah. Uh, so a, a longtime listener and, and and community member, uh, Mr. Poser Do, P O Z R D U, uh, was my choice for the, uh, was my selection for the holiday gift exchange that we do every year. And I am embarrassed to say that uh, I never got the package out to the man. <gasps> you were me this year. Yeah, really bad. It's 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 fe- it's February fourth, so I have no excuses. It's it's well, it's a month plus late. So um, I've already reached out to him privately, but it's such an egregious error, and I feel so badly about it. I want to go on the record for all of our listeners so that uh, they can hold me accountable and my feet to the fire. So, my friend, uh, thank you for your patience. I apologize, and I swear to you. That when you get the package next week, I hope it will be worth your while. Um, but but either way, I do apologize. I, I have no excuses here. I, it just slipped my mind. So, wow! From the sound of your voice, he's getting Christmas in February. <laughs> well, I owe I owe him I owe him something more than than what I would have otherwise sent him. I mean, I would have always tried to hook him up, but at this point, I feel like I I owe him a vig. I owe him some interest. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> nice. He lucked out. <laughs> we'll see. You forget me next year. I don't care. That'd be cool. <laughs> I think we do all right by Jason every fucking year. Yeah. Well, I'm sending him a sky striker. better. Hey. <laughs> that's not supposed to leave the yeah, house. Yeah, that's not funny, bro. That's, that's not funny. <laughs> so, there you go. All right. Yeah. Well, we got to kill a little bit of time here before we get our guest on. We do. Should we let the listeners know who it is or wait until the intro? No, 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 no. Right. No, wait till the intro. I mean, they know what Todd's done. You know, so. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All the dudes on the on, on the Facebooks guessing Todd. Oh shit! I will say this. No. Um, yeah. Well, all right. Let's let's let's. What's what was your favorite guess? My favorite guess was it Todd? No, no. no what no, was your favorite guess. guess guess today of who? Was oh yeah, it had to be Todd. Todd. And and then I played it up a little, saying, "Well, if you take a look at your comic shops today, there's a clue in there." And uh, Spawn Two Fifty, multi-covered Spawn Two Fifty, a landmark occasion. Let's be honest, came out today. But that wasn't the clue. The clue was uh, the actual absence of a book by our guest tonight. Usually, if it's not Image, it's Marvel. He has a book pretty much on the regular. That is yeah. true. And this week, there was nothing from the man. We had some interesting right, guesses. Really? We had, uh, wasn't there? Well, I didn't see anything listed unless that book that you showed me before uh, came out this week. I didn't. It wasn't on the list. No, mm-hmm. I think this week is a clear, clear week. But, uh, there were some, there were some funny ones, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan, seriously. <laughs> somebody, somebody guessed Stan. They did, they did. Someone guessed Ditko, which was funny. Oh, that would be odd. We'd have to, uh. Yeah, no, no, guys, uh, no, uh, a book did come out today. Oh, okay. Wow, it's not on the diamond list then. Really? Because I grabbed it for yeah. the new releases list on the forum. There you huh. go. Okay, then. Well, I could, I could be wrong. Vince M. Mistaken. Oh my gosh. Yes. So it wasn't a clue. It was a bad clue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Yep. In my excitement, I, I failed to notice it. That's all right. But I got a lot of reading done. 
in anticipation. I know. I, I, that, so that's what it takes. That, that's good to know. I I mass consumed. Me too. I I think I read six, seventy comics for the show. That's you got me beat because I I reread from start to finish two complete series for this. Wow. Uh, much of which was rereading, but I just wanted to have it fresh. So okay, probably from the publisher that I did not. Read. Yeah. So I'm thinking. Right. Let's see. Uh, that would be. Uh, that would be 44 issues. Wow. Yeah. And when you pull back, you start to notice that thematically, a lot of these series are very similar. Absolutely. It's one of the things I think we should try and get into tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we will. I will say this. Uh, doing due diligence for tonight's chat, um, our guest is is an honest dude. He he is – there have been many a – interesting nugget of information that I've come across about that he has gone on the record with. So it should be an interesting conversation. Unless he hates Yeah, us. unless we completely turn yeah. him off with our, <laughs> yeah, our really. repulsive personalities and he clams up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. But uh, before reading all the books for this episode, I got a lot of stuff read, which was silly, really, because I should have started earlier. Did you right? read Nameless? Did I read what? Nameless. Uh, no, I did not because that's coming in my box. I want to see, I want to read that one on paper. Ah, I see. Okay. I will not, not have the digital for that. No. Okay. No, but I mean, I was reading, I read the, uh, the first two King books out of Dynamite, the Flash was Gordon. Was one of them? Yes. Brent Schoonover's The Phantom. I have that coming, uh, in DCBS, but I haven't seen it yet. How's it look? It's the better, definitely the far better than the, of the two. Okay. And I thought the, the Phantom was great. Flash, it was okay. But the the Phantom was exceptional. Mm-hmm. You need to have read King's Watch going into this. Oh, well, then I'm out. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's just say it would benefit you greatly. Oh, wait, wait, wait. King's Watch, the thing King's we read Watch. with that Mark did? The, that, yeah. Yes, oh, no, never Parker Road and Mark Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which I was thinking it's kind of a little on the strange side that they would launch five miniseries based on a miniseries. Well, that's you know, some why hard not? artwork to follow, Mr. Lamming. Oh, sure, sure. But um, the Schoonover is of a different style, sure. but just, you know, it's very good, very good. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought they're they're off to a nice start, but I just thought that the the ties to King's Watch was a little bit, it was an odd odd choice to launch five on uh, miniseries based on me. I mean, it was great, but hmm, it's a little weird, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll stick with them. I thought it was fantastic. Good. What, what, what did y'all read real quick? Well, oh. other than that stuff that that we're gonna that we alluded to, uh, I I did read the Nameless, um, the first issue. I read uh, actually mostly Image stuff. I, I uh, David, I don't know if you've had this issue uh, with the Marvel Unlimited, but it, I think it's my iPad. It, it, it like every couple issues, I'll I'll go to read something and it'll freeze up on me, and and really? I won't be able to load the images. Yeah, I think it's just because my iPad's on the on the fritz. I think, but. But you don't have that issue, do you? Not that I've uh, no. I mean, it's 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 been a few weeks since I have launched the Marvel Unlimited. But uh, no, when when I was using it on the regular or, or keeping things for offline, I I really I lucked out. I didn't whether it was on my old Kindle Fire or the uh, the older iPad. I, I really didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with it. The other two things I read of note uh, that stick in my mind here: Deadly Class number ten hmm. and uh, the first issue of the new Casanova. Oh yeah, I, I have that on my stack. I um, I I hinted 
at Casanova last week when I was talking about things yes. that, that work in in binges and and that is something that uh I don't think I can read that in single issues. I think I'm going to have to do my usual self trade waiting as as the issues come out. I'll just wait for three or four to stack up. Yeah. Every- no, I don't disagree with you, but it's been so long since we had New Casanova. I figured I'd get get the issues and just for the the, the artwork alone and then I, oh, I'm yeah. with you. I'll, I'll collect the issues and probably go and read them. After this one, I'll go back and read them all in one fell swoop. But I will say, especially with one, the backups, the brothers still look great. The yeah. arts, it's been it's nice to see them again. And two, um, I this issue reinforced with me that um, this is Fraction's thing. This is the thing yeah. that I read from him that I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I adore and I feel is, is, uh, is, is evocative of, of what makes him a, a, a great writer when he's feeling inspired. Uh, I know yeah. other people vibe on other things. I know, uh, sex criminals, a huge hit and critically acclaimed. And, and I, I promised Ron I would actually give it a second chance when, uh, when the collected edition comes out because I, I, I didn't stick with it. But, but my point being, I, I just think that uh, of all the stuff I've read of, of fractions, some of which I've liked, some not so much, some in the middle. This, this is just, it, it feels right. It feels like his thing. Just the, just the work that, that he's meant to, to do. You know, like Remender's Fear Agent or Terry Moore's yep. Strangers in Paradise. This just feels like the thing that he'll, I don't know if he'll be most remembered for it, but, but the thing that I'll remember him most for. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, and and it, it's it's especially painful when I read Odyssey, and I and I I'm thinking oh. this this can't be the same fraction. It can't. And and yes, they writers don't have to write in the same voice for every project. Right. In fact, I prefer it when they don't. But it's like night and day. You you have no idea that that's the fraction that we all know and love on Odyssey. It's just so strange. And you you were talking about issues with with your books. I have a really strange thing going on. Yeah. With my, with my books, with my Valiant books in particular, close to the, the center of the fold of each book, one of the, the bottom, the paper is detached from the bottom staple. I, I read like, huh. I read, no, it's just really strange. I read six Valiant books. Out of four of them, there was one double page that was detached from the, the bottom of the staple. And that, like, why? Why is that happening? But it's just, I mean, I don't care. You know, it doesn't really bother me, but it's, it's really weird. Maybe in the, in the, wherever they get them printed, there's something going on with their, uh, their binding system. Hmm. Something weird. That's but weird. I, I, weird. I read, I read a lot of Valiant as well. And I gotta say, Unity, are you guys reading Unity? No, I, no. I read the first couple issues. Um, did you read oh, Ivar? Ivar? I did. Good. And I thought it was Good great. You. And you were, you, you were absolutely right about the last page. Yes. Yes, yes, but um, Matt Kent, uh, Unity number fourteen. It is awesome. Definitely the best issue of the series so far. Sweet. Yeah, uh, there's like um, a Dark Knight Returns uh, slash uh, commentary with news people and uh, Exo Manowar on the bottom that that scrolls throughout the whole issue, and they're going back and forth on the you know is it right. Uh, I won't spill it to do this or, you know, how do you justify these actions? And above the story, above the strip is the the regular events of the, the issue play out between like, say, you know, uh, Faith and the rest of the team. And it's really cool the way Kent wrote it. Nice. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a point counterpoint type thing going on without it actually, you know, shoving it down your throat. By the way, speaking yeah. of Matt, I did reach out to him this week to – See if he'd be interested in coming on soon. I know we've, every time we see him at a show, he says he'd love to and 
we just haven't made it happen. It's hard to believe we've never had him on after seven years, but uh, and we love him. Too. Yeah. So, um, so again, I, nothing's on the on the books, but I'll give our listeners a little sneak peek. But we may hopefully have Matt on at some point in the, uh, I guess, reasonable future if if he's yeah, up for let, it. Yes. Let's do that because I still need to read Mind Management Volume Four, and it'll it'll get me. Nice. Yeah, I'm behind on that as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so what do you say? Should we fire up yes, the old uh, phone here? Indicator. That's right. Let's do this. Oh, it didn't take the number. <laughs> that that's jank, as David would say. Well, in the in the price vernacular. There we go. Kind of borrowed that from Jason, but do we gotta get rid of the cat? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Dialing for dollars. Okay, and we are back with our. Much anticipated special guest. Uh, a lot of guesses this week as to who we might be having in the fourth chair. And uh, let's just say a few of you got it right, although most of you were dead wrong. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's my great pleasure to welcome to the show uh, the first creator in our seven-year history uh, who was a unanimous choice for our creator of the year. Uh, he's currently at the helm of the Avengers franchise for Marvel as we count down to what we hope to be monumental events, no pressure, of uh, Secret Wars. And uh, he's also managing in his spare time to uh, write not one, not two, but three image books, East of West, The Manhattan Projects, and The Dying and the Dead. And if I'm not mistaken, and we'll probably get into this, I think there's a fourth one coming this year called Feral Better Now. Uh, of course, I am talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jonathan Hickman. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, who were the other guesses? Oh, all sorts of things. Uh, Todd McFarlane was a big one because Vince is a huge <laughs> Spawn fan and 250 came out. Uh, Steve Ditko was a guess. Um, we had uh, Chris Burnham because people know that we're friends with him and he's got the nameless out. Um, but it, it ran the gamut that uh, in, just all over the place. But uh, a few of them figured out it was you. So, Well, Chris Burnham would have been a terrible choice. Agreed, yes. um, but, but wow, true. Todd McFarlane would have been amazing. <laughs> well, so well the, I'm, uh, I'm sorry and I'm happy. So, yeah, uh, the, the, the guys who guessed Burnham, I, I chastised them and said, no, we said we had a special guest. So, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Well, we did have Liefeld on and he does a mean Todd McFarlane impression. So, uh, and we could always get uh, Rob to come on and do Todd. So that's true. Do you by chance do a McFarlane impersonation, John? I, I, Todd McFarlane is the only image founder that I have never met. Oh, uh, wow. So, oh. uh, I look forward to meeting him someday. He's, uh, he, uh, I, I, you know, since I've never met him, I don't know if he carries over, but man, he seems like a really big personality. So it would be, uh, I'm assuming it would be great, you know. Absolutely. They're saving the best for life. Yeah, right. <laughs> So uh, it's been a long time coming. We're really thrilled to have you on. Um, there, there's just a, a ton we could we could a lot of directions we could go. But but I, I wanted to start with um, something that I think longtime fans of yours know. But but I, I would suspect quite a few people that have gotten to know you through Marvel have no idea. Which is to say that um, you have been on record many times as saying that you don't really consider yourself a writer, and in fact came into comics mainly with the thought that you'd be more on the art side. So. Um, I, I, can you get into that a bit? Cause I, I do find that pretty fascinating considering I think most people ourselves included identify you as, as a writer first and foremost. Sure. 
sure. And, and I understand why. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly been more successful at that. But um, the only reason why I ever started writing anything, I ever started writing any comics, was because I wasn't happy uh, with the writers I was working with um, whenever I was trying to, to, to break in. Um, you know, I, I was I spent my day job was I was in advertising and I was incredibly miserable and uh, you know such an awful awful career um, and especially for creative people. I mean, it's just you're just a whore all day every day, and um, which maybe for some people it wasn't for me, um, but I I was trying to to get into comics and so I would go to to like all of the message board places and all that, like digital webbing. I don't even know if those places are still around, like Pencil Jack and all that. And um, and I would just say, you know, I, I would look, and there would be all there were always, as there are, still are, always writers looking for actually talented people to work with. And and I hooked up and did some samples of like like three or four guys, and it was all so incredibly predictable and formulaic and I um I I just was not impressed it was not the kind of stuff I wanted to be working on and so I, I thought about it for a little bit and then I don't know if you remember but um I think adaptation had come out and it was out on DVD and stuff like that and everybody in comics had kind of I think Ben had just started talking about reading Robert McKee's story and everybody was kind of getting into it um I started to get a Robert McKee seminar, and so I did. And um, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, the, it, Stephen Pressfield's book, the uh, the War of Art, had just come out as well, and um, Mr. McKee had written the introduction to it. So he was hawking them at, at at his seminar, and I bought that as well. And uh, I don't know how else to explain it except to say that it was a um, you know, I went to that the, to that seminar, and I understood innately, and uh, you know, at the DNA level, everything that he was talking about. A lot of it from just consuming story and media and narrative our entire life, my entire life, like we all do. But um, just just the way that it all kind of fit together made sense. But I read that Stephen Pressfield book, and and I was 35 at the time, and I, I still remember. I, there, there's like a chapter of it starts and he's talking about how he was 35 years old and he'd spent his entire adult life, uh, you know, running from the East Coast to the West Coast trying to figure out who he was. And I don't know what it was, you know, uh, serendipitous, whatever, but it all kind of resonated into me saying, you know what, screw it. Uh, I'm going to do my own stuff um, and at least I'll have give myself interesting stuff to draw and I can kind of massage the story in a way that it would, uh, I can tell an artistic story the way that I want to. So I did that, and I did the first five pages of Nightly News, and um, uh, I've, I've told this story a lot, uh, and, and I don't like to tell it too much because it sounds too easy, but uh, but, it, it, but it is true, um, and I have image to thank for it in Eric Stevenson, but I, I, I FedExed it on a Monday, and I had a publishing deal uh you know, an agreement for them to publish my work on Friday, and um, you know, I, I never looked back. Uh, I assumed that I would just do nothing. 
but write and draw my own books. Like, I've never envisioned myself as being anything other than a cartoonist where I'm writing and drawing my own stuff. Um, but my early image stuff did not sell as well, and I had kind of gambled um, the entire um, <laughs> the well-being of my entire family <laughs> on me being able to make it professionally as a comic book creator. And when Marvel came along and started offering me, you know, nothing but, but writing gigs, and I did that, and it kind of resonated. Then uh, I, I went with it, um, but I'm, I'm definitely now in a place where I can do... Um, where I can do more of what I want to do, and so I'm definitely going to be doing more art in the future. That was a really nice. long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but that was that's kind of the whole story. Well, I think it's amazing having been there with you at the beginning of Nightly News and kind of getting a feel for your uh, graphic presence that you have managed to take that and imprint, you know, your your visual um, style to a juggernaut like the Avengers, like the the title pages and the Avengers roll call pages w- with the sort of infographic type look that was very present in nightly news you you've you've you're on the writing side of these things but graphically you're still there as an artist too a visual artist yeah i mean i don't do i kind of let go of the marvel design stuff like when i first started there uh i don't know if you remember or not but i was doing like the secret warrior stuff and i did all the Mm -hmm. diagrams and all the character interaction stuff and all that and and they love that. They they love that. It made me different, and, and and all of that kind of stuff. But and certainly I've designed all the trades of everything that I've done uh, up to Avengers. Like especially like if you look at those Fantastic Four omnibuses and stuff like that. Um, the design certainly permeates the entire thing. But um, you know, Marvel has has people that that's their job. <laughs> it's not my job, and I've kind of learned there that, um, well, one of the lessons that you learn at Marvel, I'll say it like this, one of the lessons that you learn at Marvel, and I'm sure it's the same way at DC, is eventually it's kind of, uh, it becomes apparent that there's only a certain amount of authorship that you're going to be able to have. Uh, sure. And then at the end of the day, they own the IP, and they have the company that is publishing everything. And their vision supersedes every other vision, which is exactly how they should behave. They have a financial and long-term responsibility to their employers and their stockholders and all of that kind of stuff. And so there's no bad blood, or I don't... I don't um, um, Marvel behaves exactly how Marvel should behave. I know a lot of people don't don't agree with that and that a lot of people don't don't get it but their 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 behavior is very predictable and as i've worked more and more with them they they are asking me to do a very specific job and so i i'm just doing that job uh, i do it as well as i possibly can uh, but um you know more importantly it, it it's it's um it's made me appreciate um how tolerant they were of my of 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 me kind of infusing me into everything that I do. They they did not have to do that. They they, they did not have to try and um, uh, 
placate me or, or, or cater to me in that way. And a lot of it goes to my editors when they clearly were trying to nurture me as a talent. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's in there. It's been less and less and less. Uh, but it is, um, there's no getting away from the Marvel has been incredibly, it's been a formative place. I don't think there's any, any getting around that. It's it certainly, let me also say that it's also certainly made the other side of it, things that nobody has seen yet, uh, like Feel Better Now that you were talking about at the beginning. When that stuff comes out, it's going to be so much sharper. Like, you know, it, it's, like I've been working on this, this stuff behind the scenes for a couple of years, and I'm, because of all of that stuff, uh, I, all of, all of my creator own stuff, and specifically the books that I'm doing everything, uh, it's all so much sharper. Okay. Oh, well, you have the benefit of having two arenas in which to play. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that can't say that. But I, I'm starting, having read a ton of your stuff in anticipation for this show, I'm starting to notice there are similar threads, similar themes in, in a lot of the work. It, was that um, conceived beforehand, or is that just something that kind of seeps into the work? Um, like no, I, no, I, no, I don't, you're not wrong. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead, what were you going to say? I, I noticed evolution uh, is one of the big themes in your work, most notably in, in Avengers. I mean, it's just dripping with it. But um, I see it in a lot of your other stuff, too. Well, I believe, I, yeah, I, be, I believe in cross-pollination in, in a big way. Um, but I also, and, and I've said this other places as well, so forgive me if I'm, you know, if I'm rehashing that you guys already you know, but um, I look at Marvel as, um, again, coming from the fact that I, I had never written a script. I'd never written anything to be consumed or or. or, or um, partaken of <laughs> before nightly news. So every every script I write, especially for the first, I mean, I've only been doing this eight years, but I have, uh, the first two years of that, I mean, I only wrote 14 scripts or something like that. So you're talking about a hyper-compressed amount of, of time where I've basically been, um, well, I don't think it's been bad. And I don't think it's been universally great. I mean, I think the, the majority of my work has been uh, falls on some good spectrum or something like that. Um, some people seem to like it, or at least have a, a reaction to it for the most part. Um, but I, I've I've spent most of that time treating it as a place to try and figure out what I'm doing, so that so that I can get better at my job, which is telling stories. And I don't, um, like, it's weird because I know that sounds crazy because I'm on Marvel's biggest book, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I, I, it's not lost on me the fact that <laughs> I, I'm uh, treating it like some kind of weird science experiment or, or like I'm playing, I'm like a kid in a lab, just throwing shit into a beaker or something like that and seeing if it bubbles over. But um, that's a lot of what I've been doing uh, over the past couple of years because I, I want to do, like it is my uh, total and sincere goal that I, I would like to make 
really good art down the road. And I know that when I started out, while that was the goal, I did not think that I was achieving it or that I was capable of it at the time. And so, and so when you talk about repeating themes and stuff like that or repeating motifs, a lot of that is me walking the dog in a bunch of different directions trying to figure out the best way to get home. Does that make right. sense? Yes, and, perfect and, sense. Yeah, and so, and so I'll exercise I'll try to to work a narrative a certain way in one book and work it a different way in another book. And so, like like for example, I'm telling books. I'm writing stories about people dying in East of West and Avengers and the Dying and the Dead right now. They're all books about how you handle how you handle death. I mean, that, that's what the right. premise of the books are. Right. Whether it's the death of an individual or the death of society or the death of ideals or whatever it is, it's all about how people deal with the third, you know, to put it in terrible writing terms, the third act of, of their existence. And so I'm exercising and I'm trying all of that. Of, of, I'm, I'm working that theme in as many different ways as you possibly can. Um, and so... That's why I'm doing a lot of that stuff as well, and that's mm-hmm. that, that's also why you'll see me do it and then drop it completely and move on to other stuff. When I think I've kind of figured something out, I'll go try something else. Right. Uh, and I and right. I said I said this too. Marvel is a fantastic place if you if they trust you, and you're you're doing your job to the best of your ability, and you understand how Marvel works. Again, that's a, a very important component of it. Um. There's no better place to, to learn your craft or to experiment or to to um, to figure things out than at Marvel or, or DC. If if you have an editor that trusts you and you understand that that what you're doing together is you're trumping stuff, um, uh, and, and so uh, that's kind of like my Patriot is my Patriot. It, it doesn't really matter <laughs> what I do. I, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's a little simplistic. I, of course, get royalties, and depending on how things sell and stuff like that. But for the most, for the most part, you're going to make what you're going to make, and so it it essentially is kind of like working in an economic free zone where you just get to try stuff, and you're doing it without the constraints of 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 worrying about revenue or fluctuations and that kind of stuff. You just are just trying things. Sure. Um, and so I find it, um, I find it to be very rewarding in that way. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that that uh, I find fascinating is that uh, you you are are not unlike many uh, creators and artists in that you you appear to be, from what I can gather, a pretty your own harshest critic. Um, you're off, often, I've, I've read some interviews or heard you over the years and you seem relatively self-deprecating. And again, that's not atypical of, of creators. Um, and I know you were, you, you referred to your work on Infinity, the event, um, as being, you know, okay, but, but you felt like you, you left some on the table. And, and I, I bring that up for two reasons. One, I, I actually, to be candid, thought that Infinity was the, the best, uh, Marvel event in years and, and really the only Marvel event um, in the last few years that stuck the landing. Um, and I think the, the part of the issue with events in general, although we are generally fans of, 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 of Marvel and DC is that, uh, you know, with, with an event, you're essentially doing corporate comics and, and no matter what happens in the, in the, in the 
the, the context of the event. At the end of the day, you have to put the pieces back where you found them. So I, I wanted to ask your, you, your thoughts on Infinity and, and why you, you didn't think it was, I guess, as good as I, as I guess we thought it was. And, and then two, in spite of your being on record with that, you managed, to, it appeared that they got you to come back and do an even bigger event in Secret Wars. Um, and, and I realize you probably can't, or I'm not going to ask you to spoil anything, but, but based on what we know of Secret Wars and that it appears to at least for now to be the last regular stuff you have scheduled at Marvel, does the, does that then have the potential for you to make it more exciting because you theoretically don't have to worry about putting all the pieces back where you found them? Um, well, that was like six questions. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> that's the, por- that's the portfolio <laughs> manager in me. Sorry about that. Sorry, that's, that's okay. Um, okay, uh, let me know if I miss anything. Uh, <laughs> one, Secret Wars was conceived as the ending of my Avengers run, and it always was. Like when I pitched it, uh, three years ago, I pitched it as a logical conclusion. So, I was always going to do that event book. The question was, was it going to just be an Avengers thing, or was it going to be a mar- broader Marvel U thing? I mean, we kind of assumed it would be a broader Marvel U thing, and I, I, I don't think anybody was shying away from, especially me, from saying that that was kind of the end goal. But um, it, it was there. I mean, it was cooked into the DNA of the thing. Uh, Infinity, therefore, was... That happened after the fact, after I knew I was, well, I thought I was being clever by saying, okay, look, I'm going to do an event at the end of my Avengers run, and therefore I should not have to do any events in the interim, and I should just be able to work towards building to the event, right? And so, and so I had already kind of, kind of figured out the maximum number of issues I could do, and, um, but, we were at a retreat, and it was obvious that the event that they were talking about doing wasn't going to happen. It had to do serve a couple of different masters. So one of those was there was an Avengers movie um, that had come out, and Guardians was going to come out, and Thanos was clearly somebody that they wanted to get back on the table. And um, a- anyway, I didn't say anything. For the vast majority of the of the of the retreat, because I knew that uh, I, I I could tell what that story should be, you know. But I didn't want to do it because my schedule was already so dense, and so um, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything, and eventually uh, my editor said, "Jonathan, you know what would you do?" And uh, at that point, I was like, "Shit, I'm screwed now." And so. I told him what I would do, and everybody kind of dug it, and then we talked about it some more, and then it was obvious that I was going to have to do it. Um, and so what was essentially the end of the second arc of my Avengers run became Infinity. Uh, and so we shoehorned some stuff in there, uh, some of the Inhuman stuff, and... and um, and, and, and the whole fit, Avengers being offered and Thanos being able to come in, like all of that kind of organically was built into it. Uh, and some of it changed, but like some of the stuff we introduced in terms of Inhumans was when, uh, Fraction was still going to do Inhumans and, and, 
before that didn't work out and Charles Soule came on. And, and so some of the things that were going to kind of synergistically work out didn't work out, which is one thing that irritates me about it. But the other thing about it that, that I don't think that I stuck was it's a second act. It's a, it's a big thing about a second act of a bigger, of a bigger story. And so it was never going to be able to be a completely satisfying thing. Um, which is why I'm fairly critical of it because it was kind of baked in there that it couldn't be, um, um, it, it couldn't have a killer conclusion and all of that kind of stuff because it was meant to rocket us into, um, um, you know, what was going to follow after it. And, and I'm misspeaking too, by the way. I meant it's the end of the first act, not the second act, because obviously the second act was the beginning of all the time or that stuff. Um, but uh, the one good thing that it had going for it is it had some a really amazing, beautiful art. Uh, you know, Pena, Weaver, you, Dio. I mean, it, it's a it's a great-looking book. Um no argument there. We actually, uh, we we are we are all owners of of pages of that series from, oh, okay, from Jimmy, cool, from Jimmy cool, Chung. Cool. So yeah, and from Opinion. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Jimmy Jimmy's work on things so good. Um, Jimmy's great. But um, I, I I would just say, uh, but like you were saying, uh, I'm self deprecating. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, that is probably a, a really kind way of saying it. And nobody hates my my work like I do because I see it as um, sketches of a grander idea that I have in my head, which is part of the progress of me trying to get better. Um, so that's where that kind of comes from. Uh, I can't even remember what else. What else was I supposed to answer? No, you you hit on it. I mean, the the only the only other part of it was you know you've got Secret Wars coming up and um, Axel and and Brevoort, you know having press conferences about it have made this out to be a big deal. Lots of uh, lifelong Marvel. Fans, uh, you know, are, are I think nervous with anticipation about what it means from there. You know, reboot, no reboot. Not, I don't. I realize you can't, you can't give away the 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 the, uh, the punchline there. But but the only part of the other question that you maybe want to touch on here that you haven't yet is is since this looks to be your drop the mic moment at Marvel at least for now, um, does that give you a little bit of extra freedom to not have to worry about the idea of putting all the pieces back where you found them? Um, well, I don't really believe in, um, uh, I think our jobs at Marvel, uh, and I would argue the same thing at DC, though I've never worked there, is, to, you know, a big part of the job, not just to tell stories, but is to protect the IP. Uh, and I think what I've learned, I would argue, uh, is that over the year, over the years I've figured out that if you don't put the pieces back on the table at the end of your stories, like if you try to do these stories where um, where it's about a permanent change to a permanent high-selling intellectual property, there's an inherent amount of bullshit baked into it that, that you're just not going to be able to get past with the reader. Um, like like you do a story where you kill the human torch, right? I don't have to tell people that at some point the human torch is going to come back. Like everybody knows that. I mean, we, we've, we, how many, how many years do you have to have been collecting comics to know that the human torch is coming back? 
Right. Right? And so, and so my argument is you bake putting the toys back into the story. So, um, we brought them back in a really cool way. Like it was a, it, 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 we told the dramatic story, had the loss and there were good issues in there and all that, but it was also, we had the triumphant return and all of that kind of stuff. And so I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that you have to do it that way every time, but I think it's good. Uh, business to not leave a huge mess for the next guy to clean up because then the jobs become about cleaning up huge messes. And you can, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but you can certainly point at the comic books, the franchises that have become solely about cleaning up messes that have been left year after year after year. And then somebody does a movie and it's a fresh take without all the garbage and everybody's like, God, why don't they just do the comic like that? And there's a reason. Because there's a there's an entire superstructure of uh, an entire strata of of layers of garbage that have kind of been dumped on it over the years. So, uh, in regards to that premise, I would say that uh, the goal is not to knock all the pieces down and walk off the stage. Uh, the goal is to tell a logical, amazing conclusion to the story that I've been telling for years. Uh, but to do it in such a way that it gives us the opportunity to either uh, look at something in a new way or to accomplish some other corporate goal, which sounds crappy, but it really isn't. <laughs> right. if, if everybody's behind it, well, the Guardians of the Galaxy are a fantastic uh, example of this. I, I love the uh, I, I love the Abnett and Lanning stuff. I thought it was really, really cool, and I think they deserve all the credit in the world. Those books got canceled for a reason, and that's that, that people didn't care so much about it. And after that movie came out, everybody loved those characters. Why can't we have more of that? And, you know, you could argue now, oh, Jesus, how much do you need? But that's an <laughs> saturation is an entirely different argument than nobody knows who these people are, right? That's an, that's an entirely different argument. So, um, But specifically in regards to Secret Wars, uh, I am confident uh, as I am already writing it, and I am seeing pages from Asadra that trickle in every day. Oh boy! Uh, I feel pretty confident that we are going to stick this, and it's going to be something that we sell for years. And um, I'm actually kind of proud of it right now. That feeling will die, but I'm <laughs> happy that I feel that way right now. Well, I'm glad we have you, you just... on now and not whatever <laughs> die. <laughs> You just gave me goosebumps talking about that. <laughs> well, we, we we tend to talk about how we we have our favorite Marvel runs, but unlike you know, Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns, there aren't too many Wintergreen Marvel books, and and you're making it sound like Secret Wars could very well be that. Uh yeah, Marvel does not do that as well as DC does, uh, and there 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 are very good reasons for why that is, but you know that's a entirely different discussion. Sure. <laughs> While we're on the subject of events, um, did you have to shoehorn anything uh, into your Avengers runs in uh, regards to Axis? Because, I mean, initially you can see that the, the change in Tony Stark was built into your run from the very beginning. But with the other characters, did you have to make allowances for what they were doing in Axis in your run? 
Well, one of the problems with walking into a place like Marvel with a three-year plan is that other plans get made on a shorter basis. And, right. Uh, Axis is certainly one of those. Um, but I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's a negative. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am sure that there are people um, that buy all the Marvel books and they are upset because there's some inconsistency in the timeline of when Cap and Tony are mad at each other or something like that. I'm sure that's a real thing. Um, but uh, I don't care, one. Um, <laughs> and, 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 because, two, I can, only, I can only write the book that I am writing. Like I right. can't be responsible for the entire Marvel line. And Marvel produces so many books, Marvel can't even, one editorial office can't even be in charge of, of the entire line. Um, but I would argue that some changes work to your are make things difficult, and some changes make things um, even better. Uh, and you guys need to go with the bad. Like for example, Spider-Man was probably going to be a bigger part of my Avengers run because I really enjoyed writing him in in uh, Fantastic Four in FF whenever we were doing that, uh, and I thought I got the voice. And uh, anyway, I think I I got the character. But at the same time, uh, Dan Slott came up with the whole um, Superior Spider-Man thing, and and obviously that ran counter to what he could and couldn't do in Avengers, right? I mean, it just didn't, it just didn't work, and so we kind of phased that out. Now, listen, Superior Spider-Man was a fantastic. Uh, idea and execution by Dan. Dan did a really great job on that, and I think I think people's opinion of the book and the sales of the book and all by all the metrics, that was a successful Spider-Man story. And so you step back and you say, "Good job, Dan. That's fantastic." Um, and and you just roll with it because that's 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 what your it's your professional obligation, right? Of working inside of super massive continuity comics. Um, whereas when Rick decided that he wanted to do uh, old man Steve Rogers and have Sam become Cap, I thought that worked even better in Avengers with eight months later and Cap is older and angrier and frustrated. I, I thought all of that kind of leaned into it better. And so sometimes it, it, it really works and sometimes it doesn't. But it, it's um, it's okay. I mean, it, it's not—it's not that big of a deal. You can make it a big deal. There are guys that make it a big deal. Yeah. There, there, well, there sure. absolutely, there are absolutely people that don't handle it uh, in the way that they—that's in their best interest. I'm not gonna say it doesn't have anything to do with Marvel. Marvel's gonna get their way. They write the checks. Um, and and the broader Marvel objectives will be maintained because the people running the show at Marvel mm-hmm. are super smart, super smart, and super on top of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I would just argue that it, it it'll be okay if you're if you're ever in that position, just roll with it and figure it out. And your job is figuring. Um, your job is is. Uh, to be malleable. <laughs> now, you you mentioned Spider-Man, you mentioned Captain America, but and when you know, back in the eighties, uh, when the three of us were reading 
say the Avengers, the Avengers was the group book. And if you wanted to know what Captain America or Thor or Iron Man were doing month in month out, you read their solo titles and then they got together every month and, and you got to read the Avengers and the Avengers was basically, um, just an ensemble book. But I, with your Avengers and new Avengers books, um, you know, Jason Aaron with writing Thor got a thunder. He's writing Thor in, in three different time zones, we'll say. And, and so there really isn't an, an actual Thor book or, or, or present day Thor. And, um, Remender was, was doing some fun stuff with Cap and, and that can kind of be standalone. So you have Cap, of course, in your book. And I was kind of getting the Tony Stark from your Avengers books. And, and now you have Sam and Bobby joining the team. So that, that's really, if I want to get my new mutants fixed, that's where that is. You're bringing in the new universe stuff. And it, it was, as I'm reading your Avengers as it's coming out, both books or, or three with, with Avengers world before Spencer took it over the, uh, um, it, it's definitely a, almost a 180 from the way I used to view group books, even with the Justice League, you read Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman, and then you'd get them in, in the group book. But I, I, did you have, so when you decided, you know, I'm going to write Avengers, it's going to come, it's going to culminate in Secret Wars. Did you mention Dan, you mentioned Rick with, with, with the characters they were working on. Did, did you have to, did you have an idea about what you wanted the characters to do, thinking that, you know, they're still going to be the same characters through the couple of years you're going to be writing these characters, the, these books? Or uh, did, did you kind of have to roll with the punches or, or change on the fly? Well, it's not an unreasonable expectation to think that Captain America is going to stay Captain America or that Spider-Man is going to stay Spider-Man or that Thor is going to stay Thor throughout <laughs> throughout a, a relatively short period of time. Um, it, it just didn't, um, which is, again, okay. The, the, the story that I'm telling in Avengers is not a character-driven story in right. the way that it focuses on one or two characters and their primary... I mean, don't get me wrong. At the end of the day, Avengers is about a relationship between Tony and Cap, and it's failing, okay? New Avengers is about the smartest guys, the smartest dudes in the Marvel Universe thinking they can solve every problem, and they can't, okay? That's what those two books are about. Um, And I need those characters, but I don't need them... I don't need them to be perfect or untouched or, or anything like that. Um, I, I just need the uh, read, like, for example, there's a Fantastic Four story going on that, that James is telling and, and that Matt was telling whenever I first started all this stuff. And, and Reed is doing all of his own stuff, but it's okay because you can navigate Reed doing something at night. Right. Like, that's kind of the way that the editorial talks about it. On Tuesdays, Reed is an Avenger or something like that, right? Right, so, right. So um, you, you just have to – I think if you're doing a, a book and it, is, and it is the Captain America book or if you're doing a book and it is the Iron Man book, then you pretty much have to make it about Iron Man or Captain America. Uh, now, I would argue, like, for example, I got the Secret Warriors job, and, and clearly the premise of Secret Warriors was 
it's this team of young spies brought together by Nick Fury, and this is a, about how they became spies and what they did. Well, I thought that that was okay. Uh, I liked the characters, but it was my first job at Marvel, and I knew that, that if I failed or that if the book did not do well, that um, that, that would be a chink in your armor or that would be uh, you know a tick in the negative column, however you want to phrase it. And so I knew that I would be the only person writing Nick Fury, and so I decided to write a book that wasn't only about the kids, but that was also about Nick Fury and all of the underground stuff going on in the Marvel Universe and all the spy junk. And uh, It just became something that was so much more than the original concept. But you can't get a, you, you can't do an Iron Man book, and in my opinion, you can't do an Iron Man book and then... And then um, with the promise of pitching Tony Stark, and, and then you start turning scripts, and it's suddenly a book about Obadiah Stane. Like, <laughs> like I don't <laughs> think that you could get away with that. But um, but if you're writing a team book that's about ideas and the execution of the ideas, then I think you can get around it enough that that you're on pretty safe safe ground. I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure how. It's no, yeah, no, it was a little, it, it was a bit rambly anyway. Don't worry. No, you, that, that was fine. So, so Jonathan, the, the, just, I definitely want to jump into the, uh, the image stuff here soon, but, but, uh, but just on, on the Marvel, just with, with what you're getting at with some of the characters sort of being, um, at the mercy of, of, of different puppeteers, if you will. Uh, one of the things I talked about when we actually were singing your praises in our year-end award show um, was the work I thought you did with characters like Bobby DaCosta, who, again, are not traditionally uh, – had never been traditionally an Avenger, obviously. And, and as a lifelong Avengers fan, one of the things I've always loved is the, the roll call, the idea of adding new members. And uh, I, I really think, to me, you know, you've made Bobby a, a former interesting character than he's ever been, and I've always been a fan. Um, do you – I mean, it, is there any – conscious effort to picking guys like Bobby and Sam or creating someone new like ex Nihilo or, you know, bringing back new incarnations of the new universe. I mean, is that just stuff that essentially because it was available and it came to your mind, you did it. And, and the fact that they're, um, don't have as much of a history, you can take more freedom with them and have more control or, or, or was there sort of a, a broader plan at work to, to bring all these different pieces together? Well, everybody has pet characters that they like. Uh, and, and Bobby and Sam are mine. Okay. Like I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of any of the New Mutant kids. I, okay. I, would, I would love to do that book. Uh, I almost did that book, but um, you know, you, you take the you take the, the jobs as strategically as you can. Anyway, um, but Ex Nihilo and Abyss and and all of the Builder stuff. Sometimes you need pieces that aren't available to you, or sometimes you need new pieces so that you can smash them against stuff in a very specific way, and they and they scratch a certain itch. And then uh, sometimes you love concepts that um, that that you think are are underused or or should be elevated more. Uh, and and certainly, I think the there's nothing wrong with Starbrand as a concept. I think it's a fantastic concept. There's nothing wrong with um, with Hyperion as a concept. It's a fantastic Superman, you know. 
Um, and so, uh, I, I'll give you another example. And, uh, we were all pitching all the Marvel Now stuff at the same time. Uh, if Kieran would not have snagged Marvel Boy for Young Avengers, I, I would have because there's four or five guys in that room that love that, that miniseries and just think that character could be the just fantastic, just a fantastic character. And, um, and it matters like those characters like that, that, that really either have a lot of rust on them or are, 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 are highly underused are very valuable as, as a store to a storyteller whenever you're dealing with hyper dense continuity like we have because you're always looking for pieces that you can put your stamp on or that you can just tell a story that people haven't read 50 other times before. It's really hard to do a new um, a new Doctor Doom story. It's really hard to do a new a lizard story or something like that. It's really hard to do a new Spider-Man story. Um, and that's why... It, it, when I took over Fantastic Four... People, because Miller and Hitch had been on there, and they were arguably the biggest team in comics at the time, and they had not, that book was not a success. Um, people people liked it, some people didn't like it, but it wasn't the uh, fuego that, that Marvel was expecting. And people were talking about it as a dead concept, that it was outdated, and that it couldn't be... Um, it was DOA, it couldn't be resuscitated. And, and of course, it's not true. Uh, it's just uh, finding new takes on old things that have been taken out for a spin for decades, it's, it's very difficult to do. And so the success to failure rate, um, gets really skewed over the years. And so, uh, somebody like Hyperion or somebody like, uh, somebody like Starbrand that's a relatively fresh property, even though they've been around for a really long time, that there haven't been 70 issues written about them. I mean, it, that stuff is valuable. Right. Well, I before we move away from the Marvel, I just have to say, uh, as you were detailing all your, um, uh, don't want to call it shortcomings, but the, the 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 bits of the Avengers run that that you thought may not connect that well with longtime readers, that's exactly the reason why. I, I, your, your Avengers run resonates so strongly with me is because you let these concepts, you explore these concepts at, at, at a, at a slower pace than was typically done in the past. Uh, I mean, right from the very beginning, you gave us the entire superstructure of your run that you gave us the, the skeleton after the light, before the war and before the fall. Mm-hmm. That's every, that's everything that has transpired. Well, up until the, the secret wars thing. And and you were canny enough to be semi-vague, like, before the war. You weren't really specific on what war it was going to be, but that eventually turned into infinity, right? And it, it's just when you when you take a step back and look at the entire run so far, it's like it's it's like an uh, this organic exploration of ideas that really haven't been explored all that well in the Avengers mythology. And you just you'll take a little bit of something here and explore that life and death and, 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 uh, evolution and, and what happens when there are no options. And, and that's one of the things we were debating like just today where uh, David called cap old and busted. And I'm like, no, (laughs) captain America has the right idea. 
he just he just is is playing you know to his heart whereas reed who absolutely has the right idea we have to destroy the these earths and well in 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 order to survive that's not going to be the popular opinion but it's the right one but it's i think it's the wrong choice and and just all that food for thought you're building into the this this what is typically a superhero book where you know punches must be thrown and here we get these things on which to chew that makes the book even so much better it's this gigantic living organism of avengers that we haven't had before and and it just it just speaks to me on on a ton of different levels the, you know the Kree scroll war was great but there's this so, this is yeah. so different it's meaty well it's and i guess more i guess well i yes it is and i guess i just i just wanted to <laughs> yeah. thank you for that the avengers be- you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I, I've never been. I've never been more proud than the uh, the long, extended, overall conversations the fans are having about who they should and should not kill. I think that's uh, that's a, that's my little that's my little piece for modern society. Well, well listen. Uh-huh. Since you're still in the midst of writing Secret Wars, I know you have it mostly planned out. I just have to say, I think the least you can do. Uh, since we were kind enough to have you on tonight, is to make sure two things. One, I need to see at least one panel with the Beyonders in Jerry Curl and jumpsuits. And two, I better see Volcana at Molecule Man's side at some point, giving him the good loving. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that. I can do, I can do like, uh, like 50% of one of those. All right. Well, perfect. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll consider that a win. <laughs> Before we, we, um, Move on to the image stuff, and since you, you you have mentioned that you haven't worked for DC yet, um, is there since you've already kind of done your Justice League in uh, New Avengers? Do you have is there something you'd like to do at D, whether it's pre or New Fifty Two? But do do you have any ideas for DC that with with their longstanding properties? Oh well, I I grew up a DC fan. I mean, I, I read way more DC books. Okay. Um, probably all of my really great pitches are DC pitches. Wow. Um, all right. But, uh, like, you never know who you're going to fall in love with. Um, sure. <laughs> you, uh, like, I never read, I never read the Fantastic Four. Uh, and I couldn't have cared, uh, I had no, I had no love in my heart for, for the, really? for the franchise. Breaking yeah. and, <laughs> and so, um, but then I got the gig and Tom Brevoort, you know, that this, this is, this is the real magic of, of what an editor brings is when they see it's not, it's not story problems and it's not typos. It's putting things together in ways that people wouldn't expect to make a cool combination of creator and property. And it's one of the things that makes Tom so good is, um, you know, he, 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 he thought that I would do well in the book. I looked at everything. I had some ideas and then I went to work on it and I fell in love with it. He was completely right. And sometimes the things that you think that, um, you were always supposed to do or, or, or the, were the right thing to do. 
are the absolute wrong thing to do. And being uncomfortable and not being in a comfort zone is fantastic. So saying that, you know, DC is a fantastic company, and I, I love those characters a whole lot, but I'm at Marvel right now, and I'm sure I'll continue to be at Marvel for the next little bit. Hmm. You know. Well, the fact that, that you ha- have expressed not uh, reading the Fantastic Four makes uh, Susie's turncoat <laughs> nature. more. E- it makes it easier for me to stomach oh, it. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that, that was part of also our also that, part of our conversation this afternoon. Oh, that hit me hard. Oh, when when Susie did that, no. Jason no. and I know what's up, but Vince is having true. trouble. He, he can't come to terms. So, nah. so, I mean, we could transition now to, uh, to image maybe, but, but let's do this by bridging a, a kind of a broader process question. I have to say, uh, John, you, you, I, I, I read something that you were quoted as saying it floored me. Um, because again, if I were asked to describe one of the things, uh, that I, I most like about your work is that, um, it's, can, it's, it is the, the, it is the, 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 the longer intricate narrative. I, I think you do that exceptionally well in a way that uh, very few either even a bother to attempt um, much less pull off so I I have to say I was somewhat um, mystified to hear your you describe yourself as saying that some of the the, the quote-unquote long-form storytelling that a lot of us myself included give you credit for is in fact an illusion um, that you really do mine you know your previous work for connections but that um, you know, this idea that you, that some of us have, that you have this giant map of, you know, A to B to C to D to Z and, and it's all intricately mapped beforehand is, is, is to use your own words, uh, bullshit. So th- that floored me because I, I, I would imagine of, again, I'm picturing you in some war room in South Carolina with, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, Hickman-esque architectural lines that connect everything before you even start writing a, a book. So, I, can can you flesh that out a bit? I mean, because because obviously you, I I know you're it's not all bullshit. I mean, you, as you said, you had Secret War in mind before you even started writing the Avengers three years ago. So so I mean, can you juxtapose the reality of that with with you know your 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 view that 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 maybe we make too much of your 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 intricacies in long form model? Well, I think it is untrue that that is my natural state of storytelling. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, like I, I, that's not true at all. That's like I was talking earlier about how Marvel is like an economic free zone. When it became obvious that I was going to, if you remember, let me back up a little bit more. I don't know if you remember or not, but originally Secret Warriors was planned to be sixty issues. Okay? okay. And and it became clear that it wasn't going to sales were falling enough. I mean, the book did really well. I mean, it lasted like 28 issues or something like that. And then, and that was when, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but that was right around Lehman Brothers time. And, you know, well, it was... Well, I'm a portfolio thing. manager, so I remember that vividly. <laughs> right, right. That was a very scary, crazy time, right? And so um, the book did, did very well. But my plan was for 60 issues because I, I was like, all right, I got a Marvel gig. You saw all the diagrams. They put them everywhere. They were in the back of the books, and they showed up online because Joe Casada loved them and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was real. Like, I planned all of that out, roughly, of what the shape of it was. Uh, and then when I got into it, I started executing it. And But, again, it was an experiment because I had never done anything that was more than four issues before. Like, Nightly News was six issues, okay? But beyond Nightly News, nothing else I had done was more than six issues. 
three four-issue miniseries and one six-issue miniseries, right? Mm -hmm. And so I got I got into Marvel, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a long story. I'm going to do a 60-issue story. I'm going to figure out how you tell a story over 60 issues. Because <laughs> I like Sandman, and I like Preacher, and why not, right? Uh, and, so, and so that's what I set out to do. And then it became obvious that we weren't going to make it 60 issues, and they told me that. They told me they were really proud of it and happy with it, and I did a really good job, but, uh, you know, I needed to move on to Fantastic Four and, and other stuff. Um, and, and I was debating whether or not to take the Fantastic Four gig because I didn't know if I, again, I didn't read Fantastic Four, and I talked to Bennis about it, and he's like, you're an idiot. Take it. They're never going to cancel Fantastic Four, right? <laughs> uh, and, and never seen ever. That was, Right, and that was, that was, well, that's different. But anyway, um, <laughs> they weren't going to cancel while I was on it because things were different back then. Right, right. Um, and so I, I took it with the understanding that now I can actually experiment with a longer story that isn't going to get canceled, and, and I can see how you work all of that. And so I did that, and I figured it out, and worked around it, and, and then I came into doing Avengers. And, oh, by the way, the Ultimate Plot Line, the book that I was going to do, that, that book was going to be insane. Like, that, that book was going to be, um, that, that remains a big bummer. But anyway, um, I'm rambling, sorry. But anyway, uh, the, the, um, the Avengers, you know, kind of, kind of experiment was, all right, let's do it as big and as wide as I can because I don't know that I'll get a chance to do this again at this level. And so it's all it's all an experiment. And that's what I mean by saying it's kind of bullshit in that the idea that um, that, that is the natural way that I work is, is, is completely untrue. Like, there are plenty mm -hmm. of things like like Manhattan Project is a completely organic book. We don't we're not we really don't know what we're doing arc to arc. I mean, we have kind of a broader idea, and we're relaunching the book with a little bit more cohesive kind of structure, but for 25 issues of that thing, we were just playing. And it, it shows, I think. I think it really shows in that book. But um, that, that, that's kind of what I mean. Uh, it's not... Um, I can do those stories, but it's not the natural state. It's just the experiment I was running at the time. Does that make sense? Like, there's, no sure. there's no guarantee that in the future I will continue to do those things because in a lot of ways they're very frustrating because they take so many pieces and there's so many things that have to go right and you get into a situation like Avengers where I was writing six issues at the same time because the book is double shipping and the quality definitely takes a hit because it's impossible to structure stuff while you're doing it six things at the same time. And there's an inconsistency in art because regardless of how great the artists are that are working on it, they're all different artists and they all have their own ideas. No question. Yeah, no question. You know, ways of, of, of achieving the same thing that uh, differently that someone, than someone else would. So it, it's just, it's weird. Um, sure. And, and it's not that I can't, it's that it's just... Um, they're all just experiments. Um, they mean a lot. They mean a lot. I try as hard as I can each time. It, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't make any of it illegitimate. 
or or lesser because they they are experiments. It's just the genesis is let's try something. You know, it's funny hearing you talk about it. Not, as you're as you're talking about it, it 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 makes a lot more sense than than when I heard you say it. In the sense that if I think about it, nightly news and Red Wing and Red Mass from Mars and Transhuman and all that stuff. I mean, that, those were Pax Romana. They were all shorter form stories that that. You, you got in and told and got out. So I, I guess it is maybe because of Fantastic Four being, I think we all agree, you know, one of the seminal Fantastic Four runs of all time, no bullshit. You know, and then you'd step right into this Avengers thing, which again seems to be culminating in this, this, this massive event. Uh, but, but you're right. I guess, I guess it is, if you in the context of, of the totality of your work, it is, it is just a small subset. So, but, but well, you mentioned also, Manhattan. All of, all of that image stuff was different genres as well. Yeah, for sure. Like each one of those books were completely different genres. And so it, it's, yes, that is absolutely right. When you look at it, you know, from the holistic fashion, the, the sum total of all of it, it's all different. Yeah. I mean, there's similar stuff like the themes we were talking about and all that, but, um, the only similarity that everything has is it, it starts off as, Maybe try this. Sure. Right. Now, just how bonkers was this ultimate story going to be? That's, before you answer, I, you've, you've mentioned how you, you know, you were, that story hasn't been told. Is this story that you can maybe repurpose somewhere else down the line or is it like, fuck you, you don't deserve it now because you didn't get it when it, when I first wanted to do it? <laughs> I'm not angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dave, Dave is angry. You're not angry. Very, very, very angry. Always. No, it can't be repurposed because it was specifically the, the Ultimates was the gig I wanted more than any other whenever well, I got into Marvel because I knew that there were only two other books and I basically could get away. Not only were there only two other books, but Brian Michael Bendis was writing Ultimate Spider-Man, which could take place in a closet. For all right. I care. Because, right. you know, Brian was telling a story about one character and his experiences. Right. And it was, it was amazing. Like, Brian, that is, I think the ultimate Spider-Man stuff is easily Brian's best Marvel work. Um, uh, you could argue some other stuff, but I mean, uh, consistency and, and just what it means to people, like the Peter run and then the Miles run. I mean, that stuff is just, but it, it all takes place within 10 feet of that character all the right. time. Mm-hmm. And and the whatever the other ultimate book was, I, it's just one other book. I can work with one other person. I, get, I ain't that hard to do. I'm, I, I can get along. I'm a team player on that. But the cool thing was the ultimate was going to let me basically just write the entire ultimate universe. Like every month that book was going to be, yeah, it was called the ultimate, but it might as well have been called the ultimate universe. Right, oh, I mean, damn. because I was uh, because I was going to get to write the whole thing, and so uh, it was going to be just absolutely mad. I mean, I I um uh, I feel as good about those first nine issues as as, as anything I've ever done at Marvel, sure. and probably ever will. So it's good to be working with Assad again, is all I'll say. I can, yeah, he's he's a beast uh, and an interesting cat. Um, so Manhattan Projects, I mean, you mentioned it. it. It's a much different book than uh, than the stuff we've been talking about. And um, so my my first question is, how many – have you ever, and if so, how many nights have you managed to survive being out of the town with Batara? Because that's not an easy thing. Um, well, 
Nick is uh, I love Nick uh, very very much. Uh, he's my brother in every way that he possibly can be. Um, but uh, he's a madman and he's out of control. Yes. And I fear I fear for his future and his life and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I feel like. I, sometimes I feel bad because we're making money because I know that that enables him to buy right. uh, better drugs uh, and, <laughs> and and faster cars and, and all creatine. of that kind of stuff. Yeah, then a higher caliber round. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Nick's insane. But I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, you want to talk about a guy that loves comics and has a pure soul for in regards to how comics should be done and what they should be about and um you know that that's uh that that's a that's a good guy right there i mean he, he uh i can't tell you how often uh i'm bogged down in my own you know mental bullshit and and stressed out because i'm writing seven books at a time and all that kind of stuff and i get on the phone with nick and he's like hey man I just I just drew this dog peeing on somebody. Can we work that into the story? <laughs> yeah, he peed on FDR's computer, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, sure. Why not? Why not? <laughs> well, the great uh, thing about that book. Well, there's many great things about that book, but but one of the things I love about that book uh, is is Nick's visuals and that you know there's so many sight gags in that book. You know, I mean everything from like uh, there was a, a I forget what arc it was, but. There were two big goons that were working for the the the, gov- the U.S. government, and and you know they were oversized muscles, and one of the guys had this this red tattoo of Texas on his arm, which just cracked me up. And you know, I think that, that when they were doing the dimension hopping, there was one dimension which was clearly the uh, the uh, the spice worms from Dune, and I know you're a big Herbert fan, so I assume that was in honor of, of your love of Dune. So just so many cool things. And I will say about Nick, um, he's the only artist that I own artwork from. That has actively lobbied to sell me to buy the page I own of his back from me, because he doesn't. He's sad that he sold it. So he, he's he's a real cool cat. But um, oh, are you? Do you refuse to sell it back to him? I haven't yet. I mean, I've never sold a page that I've ever bought, so I, I don't intend to. But uh, I like to hold it over his head every time I see him. Um, but well, you, uh, should, you should you should you should weasel uh, weasel that into getting like a really killer commission or something like that because he he he'll do bad trades. All right, that's <laughs> good to know. I will I will keep that in mind. So we've we've got twenty five issues of it and uh, five five arcs essentially, and it's due to come back. So um, I mean a, a couple things. One, I guess when last we saw the the, the crazy crew, um, they they were all sort of dispersed. Um, Spoilers, JFK was assassinated for all you history buffs. Um, we've got two versions of Einstein uh, and, and, and Feynman dimension hopping. Um, we've got a couple of our guys uh, out in space. Um, so, so there's all sorts of things going on, and that's kind of where we left things. You took a bit of a hiatus. We are due to come back. Uh, I, I don't know if you this is a second, a second act or, or what have you, but... Uh, but what can you tell us about what to expect this year and, and how, you know, in terms of, of what we're going to see? Are we going to meet meet more characters? Is it just going to be following these guys on the journeys where you left off? Are there new things in store? Well, the only thing that I – the only end game – not end game isn't even the right word, but the only place that I wanted to get the book to was where we are now. Uh, and I okay. didn't know what issue it was going to happen, and I didn't know exactly – 
uh, how we were going to get there. But my goal for the book was to get it to a place where where Nick and I could tell any kind of story that we wanted to tell in multiple types of genres. And so, for example, the way that they're all picked apart now, like Yuri is going to be doing like Star Wars space fantasy stories while Zarina Von Brown is going to be doing hard sci-fi stories and Einstein's and Feynman's are going to be doing multiple reality stories and, and Groves and Westmoreland are going to be doing like government conspiracy stories. And so the, the goal of the book was always to get them all separated, doing specific kind of sub-genre stories. And, of course, they'll come back together for big, big adventures and all that. But we wanted to get to a place where we could tell Instead of the the story marginally marching along inch by inch because we had this huge cast of characters, we wanted to get it to a place where we could tell arcs of each character slash genre. And so this first relaunch is, is kind of a, a, it's a Yuri Gagarin story about Yuri space adventure guy. Um, and it's really cool, and uh, we're really happy with it. Um, I think the next one is going to be the Einstein Feynman. Uh, but, um, you know, that, that's kind of what I think he was. Cool, cool. And, and with that, I mean, the um, uh, you, you, you said that you work really loosely, almost Marvel style with this one with Nick, that you, you let kind of go back and forth and, and don't really have much of a plan issue to issue. Um, so with that in mind, though, you, you have had a few of the issues done by uh, a hack named Ryan Brown. Who just, yeah. just in case you don't know, he's actually a good buddy of ours. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but what, just getting a little serious about the process though, like when you have such an open, fun, collaborative relationship with, with Nick, who you view as a partner in this process, what is it like to, uh, putting aside, I mean, Ryan being a really talented cartoonist himself, like what is it like then to have to kind of shift gears and work with someone else as, as a filling or two? I mean, was it, did, do you kind of feel like you just, you got lucky with Ryan that he fit right in or was there a little trepidation with having a fill in? I mean, how does that work with such a collaborative thing? Well, Ryan was Nick's idea okay. um, because they knew each other, and he thought that Ryan would do a good job. And so I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Um, and, and working with different artists, obviously, is not a big deal for me because I do it all the time. Sure. I mean, sure. every day. So uh, the and, and I don't I don't believe in in going slow so somebody can figure it out. I mean it. If we have a fill-in artist that's on the fill-in artist, part of, part of the job for the fill-in artist is to play catch-up and work how we work. And so uh, I did the exact same thing with Ryan that I did with Nick. I just wrote like a couple of paragraphs of what's in the issue and let him rock and roll, and then, and then I went back and scripted it. And he did a fantastic job. He, didn't, he had a really good time, and in some ways it's harder, and in some ways it's easier. Um, but it, it, it's the, I thought the results were solid. I thought those were really good issues. Agreed, agreed. Um, so East of West was a, another big winner for us this year in our in our year end awards. Um, now, now that it's fair to say is a bit more structured in the sense that I, I I mean you do have a an idea for that to go. You know, I think was it fifty sixty issues, right? And so you've got I, I would imagine a beginning, middle, and end in in, in mind on that, but. Uh, are we, are we right about that? So that, that's a bit more structured. Uh, yeah, I know how it ends. 
uh, exactly, and um, I knew from page one of uh, issue one. So, yeah, it's 50 issues and super structured. Um, not super structured. I mean, we're, we're, we still figure stuff out. I mean, I, I always like to leave room for, um, especially on something where you're not going so fast that you're, you have to be way ahead. I mean, because it's just me and, and, and Dragata, it, I can just look at the art and if I see something and it sparks something, I'm like, look, I think this is going to change to this and we talk about it and, um, usually we agree and, and then we figure it out from there and, and, and integrate it. But the end, knowing the end is, is always extremely helpful. Um, like my favorite, some of my favorite writers don't write for the ending. Like they start on page one and they just kind of figure out where it's going. And, and because of that, their stories read like super organic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, amazing first acts and really fairly interesting second acts. But a lot of those guys really screw up the ending, uh, <laughs> which which is kind of a downer. Uh, but that's a natural, like that's the, not all the time. Sometimes they stick it when you get a perfect book, and that's that's the goal, right? Um, but uh, oftentimes the, that's the weakness of, of, of telling a story like that, is that you don't stick the landing, whereas if you know the landing, Sometimes it feels like you're going through the motions on getting to the to the to the ending, right? And so that's the that's the downfall of knowing where you're going. Um, so uh, I, that's why I think it's important to play in the middle uh, and allow yourself to stay open to to injecting new things and make the experience richer if you can, so that it doesn't when you know the ending, it doesn't feel um, so predetermined all the time. It's an amazing cast of characters. Um, how much was was the, the the since you are an artist yourself, and, and obviously design is important for you. I mean, how, how collaborative was it between you and Nick in terms of you know the uh, the character models and the creation of the universe itself? Because I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes that book so distinctive is this this awesome hybrid world of 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 uh, of, of the Wild West meets this this kind of you know uh, almost future punk setting it's 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 incredibly distinctive and and it uh, obviously i know nick's a rare talent and was able to bring it to board but i'm just wondering how much of that did you have a hand in at the beginning we swapped images back and forth at the mm-hmm. start you know kind of what how we saw things and um um the crow and the wolf stuff but we did a lot of back and forth on that uh death was pretty straightforward um but uh, once we got into issue one, at that point, uh, I, I absolutely step back unless there's something that absolutely rings untrue. Um, I've done that twice in, what, 18 issues now. So it's obviously not a problem, and Nick is very, very good at his job. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I did a little bit. He did almost all of it uh, and deserves the vast majority of the credit. Uh, in terms of conceptual continuity between your, your image projects, while we're on the subject of East of West, um, is there a connection between death <laughs> in, in East of West and the uh, white-clad character that brokers the deal with caning 
in uh, Dying in the Dead because visually they they're very similar. They look like they could be from the same place. Is there a conceptual link or a, a, a thematic link between these these two characters, or is it just a random occurrence that both of them are stark white? And, uh, and have um, and, and, <laughs> go ahead. No, and they just seem to have um, abilities beyond the average. And I was I was just wondering if there's some kind of connection between. And, the and two. was that a concern, knowing? how receptive people are to death in East of West, the characters, the way they appear in Dying of the Dead. Were, were you aware that there may be a comparison coming? Uh, I was talking to Ryan Budenheim on the phone last night, and uh, he told me that he finally read East of West and really wishes finally. he designed the uh, the characters differently. Um, <laughs> Ah. To which, to which I laughed, and I said, "I said, don't worry about it. Nobody will ever bring it up." Listen to this. Nobody ever will. Oh well. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, now, I, no, they don't have any connection, and uh, that'll become super clear the more you read *The Dying and the Dead*. Obviously, it's impossible to read more since there's only that one issue out. But. Um, no, I mean it's just death. In the in the in the in the east of west, it's just one character that's that way, and uh, we were going for specific colors. And like if you noticed in in the dying and the dead, like we were using super limited palettes, and we wanted the bad guys, not bad guys, yeah. but those people um, to look uh, to really really stand out. And since the characters can basically change skin color according to the palette that we're using. The idea was that we needed some kind of consistent way to make those people visually different. And I was like, we can just make them white. And Brian was like, oh, that's a great idea. Now he's all broken up about it. But, oh, well. Yeah, I think Michael Garland did a fantastic job on the color. Uh, uh, yeah, Mike, re- Mike did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, for just for the reasons you said, it really makes the... Uh, the, the white pop and it enhances uh Ryan's line work. But um the dialogue that we get out of uh, the man in white in Dying in the Dead, uh there there's a couple of keywords that kind of stuck in, in, in my my brain. He he mentions the fall and being cast out. Are are we dealing with Lucifer here? Yeah. Good. Okay. Told <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, Jason. Jason has a theory that that maybe these these people are vampires. Oh no, they're not vampires. Oh, I'm wrong um, too. All right. Also okay. good. Also good. Yes. But no, really. We talked, very... we talked about that. We talked about that like originally, really, really early in the concept, and we were like, we we're like, should that be what we're talking about here? And then it became something different and bigger. And, okay. Um. Anyway, they are certainly so, long lived, so, though. I mean, that's right. Yeah, yeah. but sure. uh, extremely, extremely smart decision to uh, release the first issue as a sixty-four page book. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, big time. It re- really gave us a lot uh, to uh, to sink into. Let's just say, and that that double page spread with the city. Oh my goodness, that that was just gorgeous. I mean, Bodenheim. What what, what were your reactions when you saw the 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 artwork come in for that um i've been pretty consistent uh talking to him about this this all of this stuff this is clearly his best work um he's really 
evolving as an artist, which is the best thing that could ever possibly happen. Um, I'm, I'm really, really proud of him just because he's, um, uh, yeah, he's to a place now where he, he's as good as anybody else. And, yeah. and that's a, that's a really, that's a really important place to get to whenever you're trying to be a professional artist. Equal footing, equal footing means equal opportunity to grow as, you know, and try new things. Like when, when your baseline is, is totally competent, which means that people trust you when they pick up a book. Like they know that you're going to hit all the beats. They know that you, it's like going, it's, it's like jazz. It's like, you know, the guy can play. And so now what you want to see is the evolution of, of him as an artist as he gets even more comfortable and he's ready to start improvising in a, in a really heavy way. And so uh, this project is very, very good, and I'm super proud of him. The next couple of things he does after this are probably going to be fascinating. So Yeah. Well, that's a pretty um, – that's a commonality that, that you have with all of your work at Image. You seem to spur creativity like – uh, Pitara and Dragata, they leveled up incredibly, uh, after working with you. Like, um, especially on East of West, Dragata was really good before, but he is godlike on that book. He is doing stuff that we've never seen him even attempt before. Well, I, and, can't, and, I can't take any credit for that. Um, well, you're, you're, you could just from I'm your just mere kidding, presence. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I can take all the credit for it. No. Um, <laughs> No, listen, a, a lot of that comes from, a lot of people say that they write for the artists that they're working with. Like, a lot of people say that, a lot of writers say that, but a lot of them, when they say it, it's total bullshit, because they, they don't. They don't, right. because they, they don't. This is why, if you've ever drawn a comic, you have an, and, and, and you go on to write comics, you have an innate advantage over people that, can't draw and that you understand strength and weakness like you just you look at people's art and you know where you know where the progression should be and um i give the guys stuff that that i know that they can draw and i also give them pages that i know that they can construct and and beyond that on a lot of these books i'm not um I'm not conducting, you know, we're playing together, right? That matters. So, um, of course, Nick Dragada is doing the best work of his life. He's working on a book that's his and it's a book that he loves and he's a co-author on it and not a, a artist for hire. And that's a, it's a big difference. And Nick Pitar doesn't, doesn't have a clue because he's never done anything else really. I mean, that's, that's one of the glorious things about Nick is that he's never, he's, he's, Absolutely, uh, Nick Patara is absolutely not jaded like people that that have um, had their authorship marginalized over the years, and so right. um, it, it, <laughs> you know, so he's like a kid all the time, and it's fantastic. Um, and whereas Bodenheim has, for a really really long time, struggled to to get to where he is right now which is appreciated. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand how important that is for, for, for an artist, just to be appreciated. 
So, um, so of course they're doing good work. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're uh, reaping all the rewards of it. You know, it's it's probably not lost on you uh, that in a lot of ways you have kind of been at the epicenter of the uh, image renaissance, right? I mean, you you as you said, you you pitched Nightly News, they picked it up, you got the book, and you give them all the credit in the world for launching your career. Um, but but in essence, you know, if it, the, the whole um, quote unquote Kirkman manifesto a few years ago got all this sturm and drang and and uh and I think largely in retrospect um you know history is written by the by the victors um that 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 manifesto or whatever you want to call it certainly seems very prescient now um but but I, I think about how you you, know, you did let your news and and while it was critically acclaimed and and many of us loved it um you know I don't think it was a huge seller at least at the, at the outset um you know then you you did parlay that into Marvel and have done a great job there and now you're back at image doing a bunch of books all selling very well, uh, at least from what we can see from the diamond numbers and stuff. So, I, I mean, do you do you put a lot of cr- credence in in the fact that that how important do you are we overstating the importance of images uh, maturation over the last you know decade, give or take, and and how important is the fact that these books are now actually selling you know legit tens of thousands of, of copies and, and then probably a lot more in trade. To, to changing the game in terms of giving you and, and, and particularly artists, you know, optionality. I mean, is, is, are we overstating the significance of, of image in that regard? No, I mean, image is the most important publisher in comics right now. Um, it's true that they only have 10% of the market, but they, they represent, um, the vast majority of wealth that's making its way to where it should be, which is with the creators. Um, in a lot of ways, they're doing the Lord's work <laughs> in that bed. <laughs> um, but I don't think, um, I don't, I don't think that, um, you know, Brian Vaughn and me and Brubaker all went back to image kind of at the same time. Yeah. Um, all thanks and, to Ron Richards, I'm sure. Um, no, no, Ron <laughs> came after that. That, that preceded Ron, actually. No, I know, and I'm kidding. Um, um, but uh, but he's doing a fantastic job, I'll tell you that. Um, but I, I, I think that signaled to a lot of people that, that it was a good business decision and, and a good creative decision to go over there. Look, it, it, it said a lot that... Brian K. Vaughn, who had sold an ungodly amount of books for DC and Vertigo, didn't do his next creator own thing at Vertigo because there was a better deal at Image. And it said a lot that me and Brubaker didn't do an I didn't do Icon when Icon was still selling. I mean, there's a lot of books coming out through the Icon imprint because the deal at Image was better. And I, I, I just think. Sometimes messages get sent and people don't hear them, and sometimes stuff goes off and it's a huge, huge deal. And I don't think that was a seismic shift, but it was a shift, and it was stuff that people recognized. And Robert and Eric are shrewd enough to parlay that into other creators and other creators because we all had good experiences. The word of mouth became fantastic, and everybody kind of started flocking over there. And the reality is, is that 
if you have an image book that's doing well, it, you make um, you stand to make way more than you would make at Marvel or DC. I've told I've told people this before. Um, you know, I would never say specifics or anything like that, but um, the year that Infinity came out, so I guess a year ago, right? Is it a year ago? Yes. Right, roughly a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that calendar year, whatever calendar year that was, 2013 calendar year, um, I I did. We sold a bunch of books, like like I with my name on it. I sold a bunch of books that year, and 10 percent 10 percent of my output was was. Um, 12, I'm sorry, 12% of my output, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember the numbers, right? but 12% of my output was through Image, which, you know, means 88% of the books that I, I did came out through Marvel. But 90% of the money I made that year came from the, that 12% of Image books. That's incredible. That is unbelievable leverage. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it isn't like I'm poorly paid at Marvel. I mean, it's not like right. I'm, right. it's not like Marvel is, is, um, Marvel has been very good to me. I mean, I am I am very thankful for for um, for how painless and how rewarding the entire process has generally been at Marvel. But that is a huge discrepancy. That's in, a crazy in, delta. I thought you were going to say like fifty fifty, but that's no, no. <laughs> it's uh, well, you got to remember you get to keep all the trade money. I mean, that's a huge business nowadays. Yeah. And so. Uh, and images killing it in trades. I mean, that is a huge chunk of their business now. Uh, and that is, that, that doesn't end. I mean, that shows up every year, year after year. And so, especially when you start, when you start talking about having five volumes of Manhattan projects and multiple volumes of East and West and stuff like that, when you start having a catalog and you get to keep all the rewards of your hard work, it, it, it just becomes kind of a cascading thing. And so, uh, images is, is um, image is not only like really good. It, it, it's it's in a lot of ways it, it's it's right. Like it, it is it is good and proper what is happening over there. Um, you know they they they're a business and they've got to figure some stuff out. Um, but um, you know Robert Kirkman has always been incredibly fair and honest and open with me and. Uh, I owe Stevenson the vast majority of credit for for getting in the industry. Sure, and, and so they I have think, they have my loyalty as well. Yeah, I, I if I'm not mistaken, I think I was you, you were chatting with Suntrus uh, a couple months back, and you even made the point that that uh, the Knicks, you know, I think you were half kidding, but that Marvel really couldn't even afford them right now, just because again of the the way their your guys' model works, that they're able to make such a nice living doing these books that. You know, it would be almost impossible for for Marvel to, you know, match what they're getting from a economics perspective, and that's so cool, right? Because you really couldn't have as, as I would argue that six, seven years ago, Image was putting out a ton of high quality books as well. But outside of a, a title or two, Walking Dead inclusive, the economics necessarily weren't at that level, and so it's nice that they are now, where it really is a legitimate alternative economically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well. It's the difference between them having four percent of the market and eleven percent of the market. That's a that's a huge amount of money. I mean, that's a the the, the comic book. Everybody talks about how small the comic book market is. It, it's not very small when you start talking about the creators get to keep the money. Sure. 
you know, so, um, and how, how do you feel about digital in the sense that, uh, you know, probably this, this is a very incestuous world. Uh, I guess we're, we're, I guess part of that process and that we have a, a show we do weekly and we're very connected, but you know, we're also at the end of the day fans. Um, so everyone's always laser focused on the diamond numbers and the book scan numbers and, you know, the, the digital numbers are still and likely will stay under a little bit more of a cloud of, of, of obscurity to the fan side of things. But, but with, again, without getting into the specifics, um, what is your perspective on how fully formed the digital market is now? Cause to, to our vantage point, it seems that, um, we're well past the worry that digital was going to completely eradicate the direct market. It seems like the direct market is hanging in there, if not doing incrementally better, while at the same time we're getting, you know, uh, order of magnitude exponential growth on the digital side. So, I mean, are you seeing that in your own work, again, without getting into the numbers, but just from a trend perspective? I mean, do you feel good about digital and, and its its place as the growth engine going forward? Well, let me say a couple of things about that. Uh, number one, uh, the health of the direct market and the slow growth, the controlled growth of the digital market, uh, I would argue that it is almost that that almost comes solely down to Marvel, the guys that were running Marvel, the publisher Dan Buckley, and and and, and all of those guys on that end, absolutely refusing to bend when everybody was screaming for why the fuck aren't the books ninety nine cents, mm. um, and they absolutely refused to budge. Everybody, I was at the I was at the retreats when all the creators were like, "You're." you're wrong, you're missing the boat, and all that kind of stuff. And Buckley is so, God, he's so smart. Um, and uh, and he kind of, you know, he, he laid it out about the, anyway, I'm not going to get into the minutia of it. But, sure. um, you know, they held very firmly, and, and digital did not grow at the rate that everybody was expecting it to grow at uh, whenever it first kicked in, which is why a little bit of... Um, you know, there were a lot of people that were bummed that digital wasn't growing any faster than it was, and the reason why it wasn't is because there were there were there were absolutely cost controls and put in place. Um, but what that did is that saved, and and the, it it really protected the direct market during a really volatile time, and we ended up with one company, Comicsology, that kind of. I mean, they had to grind it out, but they 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 grinded out, winning that winning that channel, and then they continued to grow, and now they've grown to the point where it's a it's a pretty healthy chunk of the market. I mean, it, it's it's not, and and everybody is making more money, and price point has been preserved, and they have the sales where everybody can buy stuff for ninety nine cents, and you know that that's actually a value buy. Like they preserve the ability for there to be sales and and it not be the the constant price of everything, which is a, a smart business move uh, on both on, on both of their parts. But um, you know, everybody was really bummed when digital was only ten percent of the market. But now that it's kind of turned into 25, 30% of the market and it continues to grow and our direct market is growing as well, uh, it's clear that it was a pretty brilliant play and it preserved two markets instead of 
cannibalizing one and cutting your profits in another. And so um, to answer your first question, they're, they're abs- the money on the digital side is absolutely real at this point. Uh, I've always argued that it needed to be 40% of the market. Digital needed to be 40% of the market before you could start talking about sustainable digital-only books. Um, and we'll be there in the next year and a half to two years, without a doubt. Uh, probably, probably sooner. But um, you know, we're, we're it, some books are at 30% right now. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I guess, and that's to say nothing of what Amazon has planned for Comixology because they've really been relatively quiet since, since buying Comixology other than removing the in-app purchase, uh, you know, part of it to cut Apple out of the equation. But you mean, you know, Amazon did buy them just to maintain the status quo. So I'm at some point you figure they're going to have some kind of, uh, you know, pedal to okay. the metal on, on their play. Well, they'll go to they'll, they'll integrate one click monthly comics into the broader Amazon website at some point. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, that's going to be crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm sure at some point, uh, Comicology is going to be able to figure out a way to put in-app purchases back in. Um, but um, listen, everybody kind of knows what they're doing. Uh, that's that's the cool thing about a grown-up uh, a grown-up kind of superhero comic book market is that. Um, most of the idiots got fired. <laughs> uh, so, I say most. There's still plenty of them. Of course, fired. yeah. So you you um you've been a busy guy the last few years. You've put out a, a, a tremendous amount of of, of work, uh, and it, it looks, at least from from my vantage, that you're you're. You're certainly not slowing to a crawl here, but you're you're giving yourself a little more time. It looks like you've you're rushing back from you know seven eight issues a month to to three or four. So um, I, I presume that's a conscious decision. And can we expect at least that's going to be the the new norm at least for a year or two while you catch your breath and focus on your creator on stuff? Well, uh, I want to do better work, um, and and I'm interested in doing stuff that is. Um, more challenging and um, better crafted and um, more unique and I, I again it all kind of kind of flows out of uh, everything has been an experiment and now I'm finally to a place where um, where I'm getting back to to working on my art. And that's kind of okay. Yeah, I, I was waiting to hear writing and drawing my own stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the plan. I mean, I, my my plan is like I've, I've basically spent the last five years learning how to write. I feel like, uh, and I'm going to spend the next five years continuing to write, but becoming a better writer still. Yeah, but uh, I want to I want to become a better artist. Um, <laughs> now, now, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was saying I was just agreeing with you. I was here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's hope that I do get better. Um, but uh, you know, there there are things that that could complicate that. I mean, there's no there's nothing that's going to stop me from from doing that. The question is, is am I going to have time to really, really, you know, push it as far as I want to? Uh, and you know, some of that complication is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in demand as opposed to. When 
first starting out writing and um, you know I have a lot of options and I have a lot of uh, you know Hollywood calling bullshit that stuff and mm-hmm. and, and and other things that that um, other opportunities that that um, you know the, the opportunities don't happen when you desperately need them you know, the, the opportunities are always when you don't have any time to do anything else. Uh, and so then it becomes about total time management. Um, um, you know, it's a, it's a super high class problem and it's always shitty to hear people bitch about it, but, um, proverbial first world you know, problems, right? Exactly right. <laughs> um, they, they remain problems nonetheless. So. so on the Hollywood front, I mean, um, I know these things are, are super nebulous and, and, and it, it, you, you kind of don't count on them until they happen. But, but where, where are you with, with, with a lot of your stuff? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, at least a, a decent chunk of your creator owned stuff to date has at least been optioned, right? But, but is, is Pax Romano the one that's theoretically furthest along to, to the seeing only this thing, no, I, I've been, I've been crazy restrictive about everything. Like okay. I'm, I haven't optioned the only thing that, that, isn't completely in my control or mine and, and the co-creator's control is, um, is Paximana. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's set up at universal slash sci-fi, but, um, I don't think anything's going to happen, uh, with it. Uh, so that'll probably revert back in a year. Um, okay. But my deal right now is, is I'm not interested in um, in giving the rights away to anything that. Um, uh, look, I'm in, I'm in the writer's guild now, so I don't want to hear about somebody else adapting uh, work of mine. Uh, I don't really give a shit if they're a good writer or a bad writer. I, I'm I don't need your money, and I, the only way to option something is if I'm I'm. I'm have some. I can exert some control at some level. Mm-hmm. So, um, and did I'm you tired of tired of bad stuff? Did Did you if you got in the guild? I guess is that from the the stuff you did at, with Da Vinci's? Is that? Uh, I got into it with that, and because I was yeah that and some other stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean, I got enough points to to weasel my way in. Boy, did sure. I screw up. So. <laughs> Jump, jumping back, so, so this feel feel better now. Would that, would that be something that that you'd be planning on drawing yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been working on it, so um, probably this year it'll come out. Okay, um, we'll see. We'll see. It looks like it looks that way, though. Okay. Now, now you've you've I mean you have your you've done work for Marvel. You're still you're still doing work for Marvel. You have your Image books, are you getting, without, without getting into the whole, you coming up with an idea and then Nick or Ryan or, or Nick working on those ideas, do you have a lot of people at conventions or, or submitting their stuff to you saying that, you know, they think you'd be a great writer for their work at, at conventions or, or anywhere really? Uh, well, I don't, I don't really have that conversation with people. I mean, okay. anybody that, Anybody that said that to me, I would be like, "Well, I also have my good ideas, and I feel you know, I can. <laughs> yeah, I can, I'm more than happy to work on my stuff instead of your stuff." Um, but um, 
I have a great idea for a movie. All you need to do is write it for me. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> no way. Um, but, uh, you know, the cool thing about where I'm at, uh, and I've said this in some other places, is I, I only have to work on stuff and with people that I want to right now. I'm sure that it will not always be that way. But while it is, I'm going to absolutely enjoy just doing books with my friends and being happy doing it. Um, and so, uh, and I've been very upfront with Marvel. They know I'm taking a, you know, a break after, after Secret Wars and, We've all agreed that I need it. <laughs> we mutually agreed that I need to. I need some downtime. Um, and then when I do my next thing for Marvel, it'll probably be I'll, I'll probably do uh, like Warren does. Uh, you know, I'll do six issues on Moon Knight or something. I'll, I'll do stuff like that. Actually, that's um, and and I, I I don't mean to cut you off. I, you, I don't know of too many solo or single character Jonathan Hickman stories, everything seems to be about a group or an ensemble cast. Do you have a one particular character story in, in mind? Uh, sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, 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 there are some people who just, who, who work well with, with, with certain, uh, in a certain parameter, but I, I, I don't, it, I can't really recall too many, uh, Hickman stories where you just focused on a, I mean, you, you may have an issue or two where you're focusing on a character in, in, uh, the, the grand scheme, like, like Black Panther in New Avengers before, you know, leading up to something else, but, you know, like, like a Moon Knight book, I, I, I'd be interested in something like that. I'm sure Jonathan will cool. take, duly note that. Yeah, definitely. Please do. <laughs> so, but I don't want to lose. We 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 didn't get to talk much about East of West yet, and I, it, I it was my favorite book of last year. So, we're we're two issues into year two. Um, I guess three if you include the 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 world, you know, the world issue that you put out. Um, so can you can you tease what what do we have in store this year? Uh, in terms of what what uh, what we can expect? Because I mean, you know, shit's starting to hit the fan, right? We've got We've got uh, all the all the nations making their power plays, forging alliances, taking their first salvos. We've got you know uh, we, we've got uh, uh, the apocalypse sun out in the world, uh, you know, with his little sentient balloon. The balloon, uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. Um, so, so so I guess can can to whatever extent you know can you can you can you tease what we have in store for for this coming year of East of West? Uh, an issue came out today, right? Yes. Uh, I, I did eight, 17. Yeah. I, I, I'm, we read, I read 17. So I'm fresh on 16 and 17. Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, well, the structure is 15, 20, 15. So year okay. one, year, year two, year three. Uh, and for the vast majority of the year two stuff, we're going to focus on individual stories of all of our big cast. You know, you're kind of going to figure out. Everything that you know, Prince John Freeman is has got going on with his life, and you're gonna find in a bunch of stuff you didn't know, obviously. And then we're gonna find out a bunch of stuff about Archibald, and a bunch of stuff about uh, Domo Lux, and you know, I mean, all everybody, everybody kind of has an issue where you learn what their place is in the at the end of the world, and so. 
so that when we get to the end of the second act, the end of year two, and we start crashing all of it together, um, you can understand why everybody is doing exactly what they're doing, but more importantly, what they have to lose and what they have to gain. gain. And it, it kind of... Um, I don't know, I, it kind of feels like the really horrific endings of like a Game of Thrones book. You know, it's okay. kind of kind of, it's kind of how it, it feels like all this stuff is kind of crashing together. That's shorthand that everybody uses for a lot of different pieces smashing together in in a popular fiction right now. But um Nick and I are are very, very comfortable with what we're doing here in year two because we know all the stuff that's going to happen. Like those last 15 issues, we kind of have it all figured out. Um, they're going to be, oh, they're going to be so good. I, mean, <laughs> I hate, to, I hate to talk, I hate to talk like that because I don't normally talk like that about no, my it's work. Great. We're I, don't, I don't feel that way, but yeah. Uh, east or west, when we're done with it, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Like That's I think great. it's going to be one of those books where people buy it for a while and people talk about it. And, um, There's only one problem with east of west. That Regatta does most of the work digitally. Kills me. <laughs> Kills me. I, every time I see him at a con or his art dealer Felix, I'm like, can we draw an issue regularly, please? <laughs> so maybe we talk him into drawing. You know, he did the covers all. Like he drew. He all does draw the covers. covers. That's true. But uh, my wife would divorce uh, me if I started buying covers. So yeah, and I'm well. I'm assuming that if he ever does draw an issue, that the prices will be pretty ridiculous anyway. That's um, all right. It's but, worth it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I'll see if I can't talk him into drawing like the last issue or something. Yeah, like that. for sure. Hey, uh, just totally tangential here, but but. uh since you are an, an art guy by by background and, and you know are going to be drawing stuff again, I mean, are you a collector of of your partner's art? I mean, do you do you own original <laughs> art? Hmm? No, man, no. <laughs> I got a I got a I got a piece of uh, I got a piece in that Bobby and Sam story in Astonishing Tales. Nick Batara mm-hmm. sent me the big splash where the Confederacy of Marvel heroes is fighting the Union of oh, right, Marvel yeah. heroes. Uh, and he just sent it to me to share with him my house. That's the only piece of original art I have. Wow. Okay. Uh, and the, and the reason why is because, um, I know what would happen if I started doing it. It's addictive. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not, it's not just, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not just addictive. It's, I know what I would have to have to be happy about it. And, uh, you know, Mobius art ain't cheap. This uh, is true. Yep. That is uh, it's really it's really hard to get a Travis Charest piece, that right? Is also yeah, cool. and and so I just know what a disaster it would turn into, and so I have I have intentionally like not I'm, I'm not every time I have a list of pieces I would want to buy, oh, you know, not not specific pages or anything like that or uh, right. specific runs or anything, but I would like Real a piece pieces. from. Yeah, I'd, I'd like a, a, a yes. I would like I would like some Kent Williams art or something like that. You know, just sure. I, I would have to have some art from Mignola. Like I, I have a list of everybody I would have to have something from, and every time I think about buying something, I pull the list out. I laugh 
hysterically. Because <laughs> it's like a house. It's like a house or a, or a, a, a Lamborghini of worth of art. And there's yeah. just no way. Um, well, was, you know, how would that be a problem? That uh, you, yeah, I don't know if you if you pay any attention to that scene then, but there was the uh, the first page, the the first appearance of Wolverine ever. Uh, that that last page from Hulk 180 uh, came up for auction last year and uh, and was sold for a couple hundred thousand. And uh, yep. and the guy the guy who bought the page uh, you know has a page on comic art fan like many of us do, and and he posted the page after he bought it, and he he had a little thing thanking his wife. For giving up her dream of having a, a shore house so that he could own this page. <laughs> and I showed my wife that and she just started laughing and she said, I, you know, she was like, you, you must be out of your mind. Like I, I she couldn't fathom that, a, <laughs> that a woman would legitimately give up a vacation home so that her husband could own a piece of paper. And uh, I don't know, it yeah, seemed pretty I, rational to me. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that was a multiple vacation home. Exactly. You know, like, That's it, what it I was said, there. Yeah. Yeah, it was their third vacation home. Because, right. yeah, there's no way. That's a bunch of bullshit. Um, but, uh, I do think it would be fascinating to, do, do you remember the thing that Tom Beaver did where he was trying to get a copy of the first issue of whatever it was? And he yeah, kept, he was, tr- he was trying to do the trading thing where he ended up with the, yeah, I, I do remember it, but did, right, was right. he ever successful? I think it, yeah, no, he got the, he got the comic. He oh, got cool. a copy okay. of the comic. And I, I do think it would be fascinating to to swap art and swap your way into something that you really really wanted. But that that feels like a full time job. <laughs> that just feels like it yeah, would be, it is. Um, I mean, most of the uh, most of the the, the well known art dealers, uh, especially resellers, I think that's really how they all got started. You know, um, I know Assad's art dealer. Uh, you know, he's Anthony Schneider. He same. He did it that way. He was a collector, and then. You know, he started trading stuff. Next thing you knew, he had this big inventory, and uh, a lot of those guys did that. But uh, I, I think we all have – I think being hobbyists, we all have an addictive personality, so you're probably better off given the, the creators you're throwing out there. You're probably better off not doing it because once you're in, it's – it's the, just like gambling. I always say art collecting is like gambling. Uh, you, you, there's always a next level. So you know, if, if it starts getting sure. boring to spend 90 bucks at the blackjack table, you can spend 1000 bucks. Same thing with yeah. art. I mean, you know, once you, once you're buying a couple hundred dollar pages, it's like, uh, you know, you're to the point where, all right, well, I can start buying thousand dollar pages and it just goes up from there. Yeah. So yeah, I knew, I knew it was going to be a problem. When I almost, I was at the New York con one year and I almost paid like three grand for like a really, really great Dave McKean piece. <laughs> and I, and I, and I, and I stopped. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you're, yeah. you're a big St. Kevich fan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can get you can get his you can get his stuff. Like he's way underappreciated. Like I checked. Like like his stuff is not that hard to get, right? No, no, you're right. But I was just gonna say that uh, at Heroes this year, David and I were at Heroes, and uh, Sinkevich came up to uh, the the Dan booth Panosian. we were ch- chatting. Yeah, to Dan Panosian's booth, and uh, he 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 showed off a um, a sketchbook that he had had done a piece in. And it was, uh, was it, it was a Deja Thoris book, right, David? It was a Deja Thoris, but yeah. that, what, what, uh, what Bill did was a, uh, double page spread of Poison Ivy. Okay. And, and, and the thing about it, though, it was beautiful and it was, it was, but the, the, the crazy thing about it was that, uh, as he's telling us the story, um, he had had the book for what, two years? Yes. So he had yeah. had this guy's sketchbook, which had other pieces of priceless, phenomenal art. I mean, yeah. multi-thousand dollar, 
commissions from, you know, legends in the book that, and, and Sienkiewicz had this guy's book for two years. And I just, I mean, I nearly had a, a, a stroke when I heard that. I, I, that, I was like, I, I could never ever have that stuff out of my possession for two years. I lost my mind, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting game for sure. Uh, you know, I've never seen, uh, I've, I've always heard about these guys that have these amazing sketchbooks. Yeah. Um, but I've, ne- I've never, uh, like, um, who's got the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen one? Oh, I don't you know, know what the, I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't know the guy's name, but it is a legendary book for sure, yeah. Yeah, right, and I, I've always heard about it, but I've never, I've never seen it. Like, I, I, I but, um, I would, I would, there's no way that I would get into that, but man, I, I, I would want the original art from books that have been published and stuff like that. So I am, I am like, uh, like all of Feel Better Now is like kind of like drawn slash painted, like the pages look, like the finished pages look nice and it's all mm-hmm. analog stuff. Um, I might swap pages out. Hey, but that's a slippery slope. I should, throw them. <laughs> I should just, I should just burn them and, 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 and not, uh, not, not give into the temptation. And then you have the guys who, uh, you can't buy, like, like Somni, you, you won't be able to buy his interior pages. I mean, there might be an exterminator's page out there because Andy Parks inked it, but you know, like the Daredevil stuff or Queen and Country, you're not going to be able to get a Somni page. And there are a couple other artists out there who just won't sell their interior books, whether they want to make their own artist edition, but it, it's, for those people, you do kind of have to get the commissions just so that you have something from them. But I, I have a few pages on my wall and, and, you know, I, I like having that page from a comic that, that I read growing up or, or, uh, and if you get it from the artist or bring it to the artist at, at a show, then at least they can personalize it for you. I think Jason pretty much has almost all of his art, all, all of his interior pages personalized. And, and that's, I, I respect that because I, I'm not acquiring art to to trade or flip it. So uh, no, if, if I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get a commission just to to sell it on eBay later for for a few extra bucks. But no, I, I uh, yeah, it's it the the bug hit me a while ago, and and it's yeah. It, every time we're at a show, I'll go through some of the some of the bins to, to see what art I can find. But, and, and Vince is slowly coming around to it. He's got a couple of pages. Slowly, but sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So, so, uh, we should probably let you go here soon. You've been very gracious with your time. Um, are, are we going to, uh, see you on the con circuit at all this year? Um, I was supposed to be at WonderCon. I just had to pull out of that. Uh, but I'm going to be at C2E2. And heroes and, uh, it hadn't been announced yet, but I'll be at San Diego this year. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Nice. And, um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you thought we should shout out? I know it's going to be another big year for you, but I feel like we touched on most things, but did we miss anything? Uh, if we did, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, I got to thank you for a line that came out just today. In, uh, I think, uh, Avengers 41 that I'm definitely going to insert into my vocabulary. It's something Reed says to, uh, Nick Fury when he talks about the neurochemical payoff of nostalgia. I am going to use that forever. That's a beautiful line. I so don't, I don't, me. I don't, uh, I don't remember writing that, but if you say <laughs> I did, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's in there. Uh, but th- so thank you for being here with us. Thank you for all the great books. And, uh, you know, 
great job at Image and much luck on the new project. Absolutely. All right, cool. Cool. Appreciate Thanks, it. Appreciate Thanks again, John. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully see you this year at a con or two and uh, hoist a drink or two with you. There you go. I'll drink beer. I'm good for. I'm good for. I'm good for like a beer. Perfect. You nice. and Vince are, are, not, are of like mind then. David and I will do yeah, the rest not, of Yeah, not not like six beers. I'm good for for one beer. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Even better. Great. Thanks All so right, much. Guys. Really appreciate Thank it. You, Have sir. a great night. Have a great night, Jonathan. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye bye. What a fascinating man. Absolutely. Yeah. I was wrong to be so nervous. Yeah, you were. Totally down to Dude, earth. I, 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 I expected John Houseman, yes, I, my, no, I, I just looks are the best. But he was nothing like that. No idea why you doubt me. Never, no, I, never I, listened hey, to me. Chill dude. He's a chill dude. That's cool. And I, and I, I'm, I think uh, we and the, the listeners are all the better for it because that was a great time. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's still wow. so much more we could have talked about. You know, I'm thinking about. Oh, we, did, yeah. we didn't really talk about dying of the dead too much. I, I, uh, he, I know his elevator pitch for it is Indiana Jones for octogenarians, which I think is a great. Right. That's a great elevator pitch. Dude, how can you write a line like neurochemical payoff of nostalgia and not remember it? Because you're writing eight books a, a month. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a great. It's a great line. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted to mention. You know what? Uh, Damn, I, I actually did want to mention he's a huge Dune fan, Vince. I don't know if you know that. Like, the spice must flow. Yeah, but I was wondering if he. I, I can. I can only assume he had to have seen Jodorowsky's movie, right? Oh yeah, I'm sure yeah. he did. Oh well. Yeah. Next time he comes on, we'll talk him up. There you go. Yeah, and if uh, our guest has sparked some kind of interest in you to check out his work, do you know the best place to find it? Where? Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. They are the absolute best in the business. Get the books you want delivered right to your door for a fraction of what you would pay elsewhere. Where is the drawback? Answer, there is none. DCBService.com. We going to do your in your travels? Of course. We could do that. Of course we are. All right. In your travels. I mentioned this at the beginning of the uh, episode. I'm going to echo those sen- sentiments again. Written by Brian Clevenger. Illustrated by the great Brent Schoonover. Colored by Robert Snyder. Lettered by Simon Bolin. The covers by Darwin Cook. And there's a variant, I did not know this, by Rob Liefeld. Woot! It is uh, The Phantom. The first issue in the King Dynamite version of the is character. Is King Dynamite or Dynamite King? King Dynamite. Well, the crown is above Dynamite, okay. so I'm going. I'm going with King Dynamite. Um, Sounds like a pimp. Spi- spiraling out of the King's Watch miniseries, uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, pulpy goodness, as you would expect, given the the, the character. But there's a couple new wrinkles uh, in this fabric, and I'm going to let you check them out yourself. It's a great little book, and it's from Dynamite. I know. On a on a roll, baby. The Phantom Number One, guest starring Mandrake, magicians in it. A magician. Yeah. Huh. Do it. Well, um, that's another guy who's leveled up. Schoonover. Oh the yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's almost like a chameleon, you know. I mean, he's he's got the 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 newspaper strip style going on, and then he he, he can pull out the sequentials. Yeah, it's it's uh, I dig it, and and he does some fantastic um. Commercial work too. The dude, I just never, I don't know when the hell he sleeps. Um, 
There was a dynamite book that I'm about to check out, so I did not read it yet for tonight's show because we were kind of, well, the, the guys were prepping. I was trying to calm their fucking nerves, but the, uh, uh, I wasn't nervous. No, I wasn't not, nervous at all. all. Uh, uh, Django Zorro number three came out. So I'm just throwing that out there, letting you guys know that it's out and you can also get the soundtrack and, and, and enjoy that. But I think I'm going to, what? what? Is it a little late? Because I just noticed I didn't get, obviously, didn't get it in my box. And I I think it came out today, so maybe it is. Or it's February, so I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know the schedule. I don't know when it comes out. Get on that. Figure it out. I'll I'll pray for you, boo. Uh, (laughs) I'm boo. I am boo. (laughs) You is. Uh, um, (laughs) The, uh, let's see. You know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to throw this out there. I will, um... Go ahead, you know, because I just read it, and uh, I'm going to say Thor, Jason Aaron's Thor, um, Russell Dowderman's Thor. The fourth issue uh, has come out. It wraps up this first arc, um, and uh, there's some – you're still – the mystery is still unresolved, which is cool, um, but there's a confrontation, and like most – well, Marvel team ups or, or superhero stories when, when two heroes meet, they must fight and, and they, they, there is a, a knockdown drag out fight for a couple of pages in this book. Um, and I guess after some sleep and maybe being a little sober, uh, that kind of agrees with Odinson because he actually, he, he's, he's, he, there's, he's reasonable. In this issue, and and it's weird because normally you don't get uh, Thor as as a very uh, logical and and reasoned individual, but he he is here, and it it um it almost stopped me cold. Uh, but it, it's it's a great issue. First arc has has been completed. I think it's uh, it still looks fantastic. Uh, Dowderman and Wilson make a, uh, Matthew Wilson make a fantastic team. Um, and, and Jason Aaron is, is still writing a, a kick-ass god or goddess of thunder. So, um, and for people who thought this new Thor may be someone, uh, you'll find out in this issue that, uh, whether or not you were right. And, and I'll, I'll leave that there. Um, there was a pretty funky, uh, reveal when they were cleaning some things up, but it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I still think you should, uh, you should be reading Thor. And for people who also thought that, uh, we're, that we're trying to be clever or witty with who this new Thor should be named or nicknamed, uh, Spider-Man actually throws one or two out there. So, um, it's in canon, if you want to say, but it, it's, uh, yeah, no, read, read, read Thor. That, that's basically what I'm saying. King Dap, I would have words with you. There you go. Uh, would you? <laughs> yes. Uh, in your travels, uh, I too am going to circle back to something we talked about uh, at the beginning. I'm not sure if it uh, was cut off by the by the intro music or not, but um, it was not. Oh, okay. It is thrilling to me to have Casanova back. Uh, in, in this case, this is Casanova Four, Acedia Number One, uh, written by Matt Fraction with uh, art by. Uh, the Brothers Moon and Ba. Um, also, there's a backup story written by Fraction and Michael Chabon called Kawa- uh, The Metanauts Kawaii 5 
And uh, it, it this is akin to slipping on a pair of comfortable jeans that you had forgotten about. Uh, it looks phenomenal. The colors are astounding. It's a sexy first issue. Um, sure. I, I just uh, I thought it was great. They picked up right where they left off. And uh, again, for those of you that uh, were listening two and a half hours ago and we started, this to me, no, no matter what ends up selling the most of his career or what else he goes on to do, for, for me, I can't imagine that I'll ever think of anything other than Casanova when I think of Fraction in terms of his seminal work. So nice to see another chapter um, after a, a, a bit of a hiatus. Yes. For, for real. Buying it in singles, bitches. You got to with 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 Moon and Ba. She. Yeah. yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for uh, spending this time with us. We would love to thank uh, Mr. Hickman for doing the same. And join us next week, same place you found this one, because, as we always say, David loves you so much, and he'd be heartbroken if you didn't return. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Without, without it's a doubt. It's true. Yes. It's the damn truth. Forsooth. Right. So, uh, join us, please. And David, say goodnight. Goodnight. Ah, oh, see, I wasn't specific. Say goodnight, David. Goodnight, David. <laughs> there you go. Mind if I dance with your date? <laughs> and buy some cold cuts. <sighs>